Love Talk Radio.
from you today. Teach me how to choose only your way today so each step will lead me closer to you. Help me walk by the word and not my feelings. Help me to keep my heart pure and undivided. Protect me from my own careless thoughts, words, and actions. And keep me from being distracted by my wants, my desires, my thoughts on how things should be. Help me to embrace what comes my way as an opportunity rather than a personal inconvenience. And finally, help me to rest in the truth of Psalm 86:13. Great is your love toward me. You already see the ways I will fall short and mess up. But right now, I consciously tuck your whisper of absolute love for me into the deepest part of my heart. I recognize your love for me is not based on my performance. You love me, warts and all. That's amazing. But what's most amazing is that the Savior of the world would desire a few minutes with me this morning. Lord, help me to forever remember what a gift it is to sit with you like this. Amen. One morning, I'm going to go sell drugs as usual. I got a driver. I'm in the car. And, uh, you know, I remember kicking back like this. And I'm just kind of looking up. And I hear this voice. Everything kind of muffles out. And and he says, why are you killing, stealing, and destroying the very lives I'm giving people? Going to my cell because I'm facing the 25 years. The interesting part is that I meet a guy there. And he tells me he's a pastor. I go to my cell, I look up the next day, and he's uh, in his cell, and he's prostrated on the ground, kind of like, you know, with his blanket. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this guy some questions. But he don't get up. So I go work out, he didn't get up. I go eat, he didn't get up. You know, we're talking an hour later, man. And I'm like, what the heck? So I'm eating a soup, and he gets up. And so I yell at him, yo! And so I go, hey, meet me at the gate. So I go meet him at the gate. I go, man, what were you doing? He's like, I was praying for you. He goes, I'm only here for you. Well, it's an honor to be here in, we're in Houston, Houston, Texas. Uh, Pastor Juan, for people who don't know you, who maybe have never seen you, could you just introduce yourself for those who are watching on the other side of the screen? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Juan Martinez. I'm married to a beautiful uh, woman uh, named, I call her my baby Ruth, even though her name's Ruthie. You know, I call her my baby Ruth because I love chocolate and uh, I know God loved me when he gave me my baby Ruth. We have uh, six children, and we have a dog named Max. We're kind of like the Hispanic Brady Bunch, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's who we are. I pastor a church in Houston called uh, Get Rap Church. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor, for opening up your doors to us and allowing us to uh, be able to not only record your testimony, but record a couple of other testimonies. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor to be here. Um, tell us about your testimony of Jesus, starting with your childhood. Okay, so, um, you know, I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, raised in Hoboken, and I, say, I like to say Manhattan, New York, because I was like, 
where we lived was 12th and Hudson. And so when we would walk outside, I would see the whole New York City skyline. So uh, at a young age, we kind of all went to New York. And, uh, you know, Puerto Rican. I say that because, you know, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in New York and New Jersey. And uh, everything, growing up, everything for us was like a party. You know, they call it parrandas. And so uh, we were always in parties. You know, as a, as a young kid, I remember just going house to house and partying on the holidays. And if you know my culture, you know, they're always eating, always drinking. And we will find anything to kind of have a party. And so that's kind of how... Uh, most of my childhood was, you know, thinking back about those times. But when I was uh, about eight years old, my parents, they got into an argument. You know, my dad is a classic Hispanic man. You know, he kind of went out on the weekends. Um, Mom and I would go to Catholic Mass. I didn't really know God then. I just thought God was real far away, you know, and uh, hopefully he could hear me. What ends up happening is that I remember sometimes she would say, go get your dad. And so my dad never really went to church. So, you know, you look up to your dad and he doesn't go to church. You don't think it's just as important. So you kind of get upset that you got to go to church. Mm. But I would, you know, enjoy it and stuff, you know, even though knowing what I know now back then, I I was just kind of going through the motions of things. You know, we would go and then behave however we wanted to. Uh, At about eight years old, you know, I'm playing baseball. Little League, and so I have this Little League bat, you know, I have this glove. My dad, you know, it was hard getting him to go and participate kind of like in those kind of things. So he never really, to this day, you know, he never seen me play baseball. Mm. And so uh, one day they're arguing. I think I'm about eight, seven years old or eight. And uh, they're arguing, and, you know, they have a bedroom, and right next to that bedroom is my room. And then there's, like, the living room and the kitchen, so it was a small apartment. And what winds up happening is that they just start, it it escalates. And I could hear all the yelling and stuff. And then before you know it, I turn to the side. He has, it's the first time I ever see this, right? So he has my mom by her hair. And um, he's just yelling at her, you know. And um, I remember feeling so helpless. Like, I remember, you know, thinking about that day. I remember feeling like, like I, I, I needed to save my mom, but that was my dad, and I was so confused on why that was happening. But I remember my first instinct was like, grab the bat. So you know, I grab my little league bat, I run into that room, and I uh, home run swing at my dad's knee. And so you know, he he lets go of my mom, and uh, he uh, falls to the ground. Obviously, he pushes me. And uh, what winds up happening is that day, my mom grabbed me by the hand. We walked to the door. She looked down at me and she said, uh, you know, my name is Juan, but they called me Johnny. So she goes, Johnny, you never let someone hit you. Never in your whole life. And so I was like, yes, mom. So we walk out. Funny to say that my aunt lived next door. So we actually walked out and just went around and went into that apartment. And uh, that was the moment when my mom and dad kind of got divorced. After that, what winds up happening is that, you know, we keep living life and trying. my mom trying to do the best that she can. Um, raising me, uh, I had a cousin there named Marilyn. You know, we're we're hanging out. She becomes like my sister, brother named Jimmy, and this is the disco era. So I was, uh, you know, I was uh, raised in the clubs and all that, like Studio 54, Roxanne, you know, uh, Palladium, you know, Roxy's. I say Roxanne, Roxy's. All these clubs and uh, all the disco. And so my cousin Marilyn's trying to teach me how to do disco and you know i'm gonna be her dancing partner everywhere we went and so i i really enjoyed that you know i knew I had the partying background i had all the stuff and 
you know, uh, she's the one that's like my first cigarette, you know, she's like, you ever tried this? And so I remember coughing and hacking up a lung, but, you know, I guess back then I wasn't a quitter either, so I attempted to become a smoker, and obviously everything on television and everybody on the streets. That moment, you know, I remember moving to 12th and Hudson, I think that's where my mom, you know, stepdad came into my life, and I just re wanted to rebel, you know, she... She was trying to do the best she can, so she was, like, really overprotective. You know, it was always kind of dark in the house, and, you know, she didn't want me to go outside and stuff. And so what winded up happening is that she would let me go to the front, and so I had all my friends, you know, we call it the block, and uh, they were all hanging out out there. My mom would look out the window, and she'd say, Johnny, sube arriba. You know, that meant come upstairs. And so all my friends started calling me, oh, you mama's boy. And so that's the name calling. And then I was probably the lightest guy there with blue eyes. So, you know, they, I didn't look like all the other Puerto Ricans. So now I have, you know, I guess I don't even know who I am. You know, I'm trying to be as Puerto Rican as I can. And, uh, if you know, my culture, that's important. You know, they'll rock the socks, the T-shirt and everything. And so... I think it took one day, there was one day where I was outside and they were like, mama's boy. And I was like, my mom was yelling out the window and I was like, that's where it all began. I was like, you ain't going to do that. So I, I, I rebelled and I bucked. And so I winded up going around the corner. I'll never forget. I went around the corner and that's where I got introduced to marijuana in a basement. And so I'm probably like 13. And so I start smoking pot and I don't know, it made me funnier it made me, uh, you know, it made me bold. It made me feel like I was somebody, you know. I was always like, I don't know, I was always a jokester. So I think everybody else liked me smoking pot too. So at that point, you know, I got a couple guys and, you know, I'm selling, I started selling drugs because, I don't know, it just seemed like the cool thing to do. All the movies were telling me to sell drugs. All the music was telling me to sell drugs. And obviously I didn't have uh, a dad to follow in the footsteps. You know, I just thought... At that moment, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be um, somebody because I felt like I wasn't nobody, I guess, you know. I didn't really have people at my games, you know, except for my mom. And then my stepdad, you know, he comes in the picture and he, he's, he's pretty cool. I'm just rebelling against him because I'm like, you're not my dad. So I ain't letting no male role model do that. And my mom, she's upset because I'm getting home and they, you know, she's like, you've been drinking, you know, all this stuff. But I, at that point, I'm like, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to like... You're going to walk with me to school? Like, you got to go to work. So I know that sounds horrific, and it probably was. You know, I, I I always loved my mom. You know, she was very dear to my heart because, you know, she she tried so hard. And um, we just had, like, a, a rut. There was, like, six years where we would get robbed everywhere we went. So we always had nothing. By the time I'm 13 and I'm smoking and all that, um, at 14... One of my friends is selling cocaine, so he's like, you ain't, you ain't making the money you should make. So I, at 14 years old, I make a decision to start selling cocaine. And my mom and my stepdad, they get in a venture. Even though my mom doesn't drink, doesn't do anything, but my stepdad did. And so he convinces her to open up a bar. And so he opens up a bar, and then they open up two bars. And so now I'm the 14-year-old kid that's parents has bars, and every all my friends want to hang out. So we're at the bars, and I become the... 14-year-old that's distributing cocaine to the adults. So I'm hanging out with all the 40-years-old, 50-year-olds, you know. Uh, later I find out, you know, everybody behind the scenes is doing the same thing. You know, I have a, a cousin back then that, uh, you know, my mom to this day is like, you know. But uh, he winds up 
taking me under his wing and we you know you might call it discipleship it was just in the in the opposite and so he's teaching me his ways he's teaching me all this stuff i think by the time i'm 15 i'm I'm selling to not just my whole high school but i'm also selling uh to the high schools around so at lunch break when most people most kids are going to eat their lunch i was going to other high schools and selling drugs you know, I winded up obtaining some stepbrothers that were doing the same thing. And so, you know, some of my goals were I wouldn't go to, I would cut class as I kept, you know, I think on my senior year, if I didn't um, have 900 to $1,000 in my pocket for lunch, I wouldn't go to school. It was this weird thing uh, that I had. And so I would always try to keep uh, lunch money. You know, I became the guy that bought everything for everybody. And as that keeps going, you know, it went from, smoking selling cocaine to using it a lot and um but for me i never thought i had a problem i I always thought it was a party and then what winds up happening is that in high school i think by my senior year the detectives would be waiting for me outside and i'm out of control i think they they found stuff in my locker you know the, the detectives are constantly getting me in the car so i'm already in this life leading me to nowhere you know it's just destroying my life I remember they gave me a opportunity. They were like, look, you, you're going to graduate, but you got to go get help. And so I remember going in December uh, to this place. It was, it was somewhere. It was about 11 hours from where we lived. And I remember it being right before Christmas. And so, you know, you watch enough movies. And, and again, I had this, I had to be, I guess because I was skinny, you know, all that. So I had to be the loudest guy in the room, the guy with the most money, the flashiest guy. You know, I had to be all that because I didn't really know who I was and I didn't have anybody really telling me who I was. So I, I just watched stuff. So when I'm over there and they're like, you can't go home and I'm thinking it's the holidays, I remember pulling out, I remember talking to this guy and setting up a fight. You know, I go, hey, you know, you don't want to be here, you know. And so he's like, I don't. What are we going to do? And so I go, we're going we're gonna to stage a fight. And so we're going to stage this fight so we can go home and we can party. And so, you know, we staged the fight, but the guy puts me in a headlock and he starts kind of punching me in the head pretty hard. And so I grabbed this. I had bought this little can of Welch's grape. And I started hitting this guy. And uh, I think that was the first time I, like, got like so angry that I just I just lost it and I beat this guy so bad with this you know those little cans don't bend easy well this one bent and literally crushed in my hand and so beat him so badly they broke us apart they kicked me out um I got back home as planned you know like mom you know so I winded up partying and uh when I got back to school in January they made me go again so they had me go to this same place and they're like if you don't if you don't finish this you will um you won't graduate this is where I started learning, I think, how to manipulate and go through the motions, right? Because at this moment, I had, they're telling me, I love my mom. I'm doing everything in my own strength because I, I don't have God in my life. And so all I know is like Scarface, Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Jay-Z. And all those guys, when I was growing up, they're selling CDs, you know, out the trunk, you know. So we, we're very familiar with all those guys before they even got famous, you know. Some of my, you know, cousins are like, laundry mats and all the stuff you know that were like decoys and so that's everything i'm growing up in so i i maneuver and i wind up finishing the the, the place i i swear i learned how to get through something all my teachers passed me and what happens is that you know i wind up saying you know i i need i want to change man i don't but i don't know how to do it and so i think that change is going to come about because one of my friends joined the military and so i joined the military and so I'm a veteran today. I joined the USS Navy. 
Now, you would think that getting away, everything would change. My mom was super happy. Right before that happens, I wind up getting someone pregnant. So I'm the guy that has a girl pregnant in high school. Um, I don't have a dad to um, uh, walk with me. I mean, my mom's like, she's giving me, you know, don't do it. You know, get married, don't do this just because you're having a baby. And the other side, you know, they're Seventh-day Adventists and they're like, you know, you you got to get married. You got to pregnant. And so I'm, I think, you know, my mom always try to do right by me. And so I, I think I'm doing right. So I'm going to join the military and I'm going to get married. And so I wind up getting married. I think I was like 18 or something. I get married, you know, now I have a child and I'm in the Navy. And so rather than changing, it's wild, but like four of my friends wind up joining the Navy and they're all from the same neighborhood. And so we winded up uh, selling drugs, but now I had a uniform to hide under. So when cops would stop me or I would literally stand on the block, everybody got fitted on with Timberlands and I'm actually out there with a Navy uniform. And so the cops would never say nothing to me. They'd be like, you get out of here. And so everybody else would uh, be in cuffs and I'm just kind of walking home nervous, you know. And I use that kind of as a, as a facade, and uh military taught me a lot of things. You know, obviously, National Defense Medal, all the stuff, Desert Storm. So it taught me a lot of things. It taught me how to grow up in some fashion, but again, uh, I still had a void in my heart. I remember getting out. You know, now I'm hitting the clubs. I'm transporting drugs. I met people in Virginia, so now I'm transporting drugs to Virginia. That's how that goes. I remember telling my dad one time, you know, you, why do you always get jobs for people? I'm in my 20s. At this point, I'm in after hours. Again, I'm at every club selling drugs, Studio 54, everything. So now I'm not just dancing. Now my personality is larger than life. In bigger amounts, you know, you keep graduating from that stuff. You know, it's your goal. You know, you want to graduate. And so uh, what winds up happening is I tell my dad, you know, you always get jobs for people. You get jobs. They come from Puerto Rico. You get jobs. And I think it was maybe a desperate cry, and I didn't know how to say I need out. I say, uh, you know, you always get jobs and you always help them. You get a place. And he said, he actually lived. At this point, I'm selling crack on the third floor. I'm basically a pimp. I got prostitutes coming in and out. I wasn't actually standing on the corner anymore. I'm, I'm just, my life's a wreck. And downstairs is my mother's bar. But they gave me an apartment on the third floor to try to help me. And all I did was kind of do what I did best and that was get high you know and now I'm like in the pimping arena so I'm doing all that and so and this is at 20 years old this is in my early 20s wow. early 20s yeah my early 20s when I got out of the military wow how, uh, how long were you in the military two I years was in the mili- about three years, three years and some change so yeah I got an honorable discharge from that don't know how that happened but it happened grace mm. and so I uh, talked to my dad and he lived on the other corner so it's wild so we didn't have a relationship we lived on the corner he said Johnny said, I, I know I know how you are. I know what you're doing. I see you out there. Because, you know, he's doing his kind of partying, which was drinking the bar. And so he's like, I see you. And so at this point, you know, he said, you know what? If you straighten up, I'll help you. And I'll never forget this. I remember getting so excited. There's not a lot of things you remember. You remember pivotal moments in your life when you reflect a lot on it, right? And uh, I remember saying, you will? He said, yes. Yeah. So I remember walking down that street in Jersey City right before, and I have all these cats outside, and I tell them all, like, yo, you could have here, you guys could have everything. They're like, they thought I was crazy. I'm like, I'm about to go get help because I was a veteran. I wanted to put myself in the VA hospital because I'm like, okay, I'll just go to the VA. I said, I have a problem. Remember, all this manipulation, I'm like, yo, I have a problem. 
I didn't really want to. I just want. I guess I wanted to get out. I didn't know how to get out, so I tell them, "Look, I need help." So they go, "Okay." So I get put in the VA. I remember I'm about to graduate. It's about two weeks. I pick up the phone and I call my dad, and uh, I'm so excited. I go, "Dad, guess what? I look good. You know, my weight's up." I said, "You know, I- I'm about to get out. You know, so I'm moving with you, right? You're gonna pick me up." And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "That's." That's not what we're going to, he's like, we can't do that. He goes, I have a girlfriend and she's living with me. And so I remember all this feeling of like anger and like, what? And he's like, yeah, but you want the job. And so I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. He's like, are you sure? And so that's the first time I ever like took everything I had and suppressed it somewhere far down in the basement. You know, I just, I just didn't want, I just pretended like everything was okay. I told him I'm good. But I remember this inner voice that said, I'll show you. And so right there and then, I wind up talking to some girl that's in this program. I convince her to leave with me because misery loves company. And I wind up leaving. And uh, if I got high at this level, I'm going to go to this level. And whatever I did, I'm going to do it because... Really, I, at that moment, I, I I just wanted to show him, you know, I'm going to show you. Rather than it becoming something good, it was crazy. Somehow, you know, it, the, the story continues. Now, you know, I have that kid. Oh, I wind up getting the same girl pregnant while I'm in the military. And so uh, I don't, I never, I don't meet him till he's 19. In my 20s, when all that's happening and I'm tripping, I wind up going to Virginia because then I guess my second thing was like, well, I'm going to go to Virginia and I'm going to get away from that. But when I got to Virginia, I took a bunch of drugs with me. I winded up meeting, you know, other people that drugs from the last trip when I was there in the military. And uh, now I'm tripping out there and now I meet a girl and this lady, uh, I wind up, you know, just following the footsteps, I guess, of everything I know that a man does. Right. And so a man has to have money. Man has to have women, so I wind up uh, meeting a girl, and and she winds up being the mother of my daughter. So I, you know, wind up going to Puerto Rico because I go, man, maybe this time I'll change, you know, like I I just didn't know how to do it, and so I I wind up going to Puerto Rico because uh, you know we're gonna have this baby, and uh, and uh, and at this know, point, this is your essentially third child. Third child. Wow. I get out there, you know, I'm thinking we're going to do good. I start selling drugs in Puerto Rico, I, but I wind up, Joren Torre, you know, I wind up in the projects in Puerto Rico. So I'm now I'm meeting like some killers and stuff, you know, these cats, they, uh, <laughs> the projects over there, like it ain't like a cop car could come by and they don't really care. You know, when, when the people are going to get invaded in Puerto Rico, it's a national guard. So you see a tank coming through the front gate. And so, uh, interesting enough, man, that's kind of the life I start living over there. I start a little bit of the lady next door. She's doing brujeria, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's just crazy stuff is happening. And so, you know, hey, we're going to leave Puerto Rico now because, you know, no matter where I went, there I was, right? So now we're in Puerto Rico. We're going to leave Puerto Rico because we're going to give my daughter a life. And so we wind up going to Ocala, Florida. Well, I tried going to Jersey for a little bit, but, you know, that was chaotic and I went back uh, to Ocala, Florida, and when I'm in Ocala, Florida, I wind up meeting, you know, again. I always tell people, no matter where you go, there you are. So I wind up going there. You know, it's horse country. There's no way I could get in trouble. It's just impossible, right? Uh, there's no more after hours, you know, in New York. You know, I, I was 
dealings with the mob, just all kinds of stuff. The stuff that people like seeing movies uh, is kind of what I'm dealing with. So in Ocala, that's impossible, right? There's no way. It's horse country. There's nobody there. But I just I asked somebody, hey, you guys got projects around here? And somebody points to the projects. So I go, it's a little country, but there's some projects there. I see the brothers playing basketball, a couple of Hispanic guys out there. I start playing basketball with them. I ask them the, the key question because I didn't think that marijuana would lead me back to everything I was doing. So I had a little good two-week run. And so I smoke some pot, and then I kick on. So before you know it, I'm selling drugs. I try to not get too much involved, so I wind up going to a restaurant. Uh, at that time, that restaurant is uh, basically owned by a mob guy, which is crazy. It's owned by a mob guy who's into Santeria, too. So he's got all the coyales on his neck, you know, he got all the stuff. And so this guy's going to take me under his wing. He's going to, I don't know it immediately, but as we start conversing, he, so he literally, I go to school with this guy and he makes me his sous chef. So now I'm a sous chef of a restaurant, which is crazy. He teaches me all this stuff about cooking, takes me under his wing through conversation. Before you know it, I'm leaving with 32 ounce cups of cocaine. So, you know, we got all the cocaine in the cup. We got the straw going in it. There's no soda in it. And so every day I'm leaving with a 32-ounce cup, sometimes two and three thirty, 32-ounce cups. So at one point, you know, the trust has built up, all the stuff, and I wind up, again, chaotic. You know, I wind up doing the guy dirty. You know how that goes. Before you know it, I'm hooked. I'm jacked up. I'm doing cocaine. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, I wind up uh, moving to another place in Florida, to try to give my daughter a good life, you know, I wind up trying to put the blame on something. So I uh, decide that I'm going to go to the VA hospital again. I'm going to go to the VA hospital again. You know, I convinced my daughter's mother that I'm going to go to the VA hospital. And when I get to the VA hospital, I start letting it, I start letting them have it. It's y'all's fault. You know, I'm crazy because of y'all, you know, so they're bringing all kinds of uh, uh people to like hold me down and stuff because I just started losing my mind. Like, I was like, I'm crazy. You know, I'm crazy because of y'all. I don't like authority because of y'all. I'm getting high. I took every bit of anger, every bit, and I just blamed it at the at the United States military made me crazy. And it was their fault. So now they're sedating me with stuff. You know, they're giving me, you know, I'm exaggerating, but 100 bottles of pill, you know, pills. And, you know, I, I have all this stuff. I'm smoking again when I get out. And, uh, you know, I just want to change, but... But it, it just it just wouldn't happen, you know. So obviously, um, my my daughter's mom she smokes pot too, so she's thinking it's cool. And so for me, I'm smoking pot again. And so I remember being on the phone with my mom, and my mom always knew what I had in me, you know. As crazy as that sounds, she would be like, you know, Danny, you you you're good, you're a good person, and you gotta think, bro. Like I'm I'm kicking door, apartment doors, pistol whipping people. You know, 11 gun incidents, just things that, in my mind, I'm like, this woman is crazy. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, I'm okay with God. I know how to say the Our Father. I know how to do the Hail Mary. There's no way in the planet that you could have told me that I was serving the devil. This whole entire time, I think, I'm good with God. This is just what people do. This is just the hands I would dealt. So I'm on the phone with my mom, and I go, Mom, they told me I have massive depression. You know, that I'm never going to get out of that, you know. And uh, my mom, like, rebuked me. It's funny because she didn't even know, you know, she's not even, it wasn't even connected like that to Jesus. And she's like, you're not. She said, I gave birth to you, and you're happy. She goes, you're happy. You're a happy person. She goes, don't don't you ever. She goes, I know you. I gave birth to you. 
She goes, if you want to be old, how many, you all those bottle of pills, double that, triple that. That's what you're going to be doing when you're an old person. She said, you take all those pills right now. This is my mom. She's like, take all those pills. I go, mom, I'm, I'm debating with my mom. And I was like, the doctor said I have massive depression. You're not a doctor. I remember telling my mom, you're not a doctor. The doctor said this. She said, I don't care what the doctor said. I gave birth to you. I know who you are. Take the pills, throw them in the garbage. So I took all the pills and threw them in the garbage. I've never been depressed again. But I kept smoking. Because I figured, well, this is what's keeping me good. And at that point, how old were you when, when you did that? Man, everything's blurry. At, at that, maybe I'm in the mid-20s somewhere. I'm somewhere around there because I, I don't get incarcerated until I'm 36. Well, the final incarceration. So maybe right before I get incarcerated, I start getting incarcerated. I'm selling all these drugs. I wind up coming out. I leave. You know, I start selling crack where I'm at. You know, I would I would fake jobs before you know it. At that point, I started getting incarcerated. So I get incarcerated. You know, I manipulate my way out of there. I get incarcerated again. I get incarcerated again. It's just a vicious cycle after that. I'm part of the system, and I just keep getting incarcerated. Um, and, and Juan, what's, what's happening right now, even as, as all of this is happening, all of the cycles of incarceration and drugs, yeah. what's happening with your children, with your family around you? Man, you know what? I... um. I really didn't know. I started writing my daughter, I think, first. And, um, you know, I would write her letters. And, uh, but we didn't really have a relationship. So it, it was really even hard to, like, be a father, right? Because how, how do I father if I don't – I've never been fathered. So, like, how do I father if I don't know father? So I'm just reproducing what I know. And my father was like Jay-Z, Biggie, Tupac, you know. All of these street guys basically parented me. So that's all I know. I'm trying to reach them through letters and stuff, but I, I'm just hearing stories. The only person that's always really written to me is my mom. Mom never wanted to see me in prison, so even though I've done 10 years of prison in my life, uh, she's never seen me in, uh, in, you know, in behind bars. And uh, my dad, he just never visited me you know, prison, you know, he used to go once a month when I was growing up and stuff, you know, we'd hang out. But I wind up one day thinking about this and I say, you know what, I got tired, you know, I'm making money, I'm in the clubs, you know, it's, it's the thing, the red rope's always removed from me, you know, I'm I, I'm always getting special treatment, some weird way I always, I always somehow, I guess, favor, you know, I would meet all the club owners, so I, I had a, a name out there and one day I, I make this decision. It's a random decision, and I say, you know what? I'm going to be the man. And so I say, I'm going to take over the world. And so I tell my mom about it, and she thinks I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. She's like, what? I said, Mom, I'm just going to go. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Texas. She's like, you're going to Texas? I said, yeah, I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to meet somebody over there. They're going to be like the biggest drug dealer. Now, you got to think. Because there was a season where everything was going through Florida, Miami, and my stepbrother and all of them, they, I mean, they came out on the paper. So it's not new news. You know, most of them busted from, like, really big things, you know. Uh, FBI, you know, kicking my family out of the city, literally. And so uh, even though my mom was never drank and never did drugs, and I, you know, it was always who she was associated with, right, who she partnered with. And so later in life, you know, I'm like, yo, I'm going to go do all this stuff. And my mom thinks I'm crazy. She's like, you don't know nobody in Texas. I'm like, I'm going to be fine. So I, I sell some drugs. I get some money. I pack a backpack full of drugs because I knew that no matter where I went, 
I could sell drugs. All I had to do was find a bar. So I wind up in McAllen, Texas. Uh, McAllen, Texas, Donna, uh, Texas. And uh, while I'm there, you know, I get off the bus. I don't know nobody. You know, I'm looking around. You know, I, I think I, I roll up a blunt because in New York you could just roll and you know, smoke in the street. And so I'm going to smoke and some girl says to me, yeah, you can't do that out here. And so I'm like, what? And so she's like, yeah. And so the enemy had a plan for me. Right, and so it was right there, and she's like, "We're going to Mexico," and so I thought, "Great, I'm about to meet my big connect." So I hang out with these two girls. They live in Donna, Texas. I go into Mexico. I didn't need a passport or nothing. All I needed was an ID. So I wind up going into Mexico. Before you know it, I, I think at this time I wanted to meeting a guy that was like number nine in the cartel marijuana trade, and so he ran most of Donna and all that, and so. Here we go again. I'm hanging out with this girl. She's smoking. We're partying. Before you know it, you know, I came out here because, you know, kilos back then were like 36 in those e economic times. And over here, there were like nine. And i just letting you know so you know why I came. And so I wind up coming out there. And, uh, man, it becomes this one big party because I'm getting cocaine at the cheapest cost that I've ever got it. So I, 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 just, I just start doing drugs. I love to party. I love to party. And so I, I wind up doing all the drugs. I get locked up on this random stop and I have a blue horn in Jersey. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna now go back to you know, I'm getting incarcerated, I'm upset. Um, I get on this bus and I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole. Everybody there are like Con Air. You ever seen the movie Con Air? So everybody's on the bus, they got, you know, millions and millions of dollars, all these guys are big big drug dealers, murderers, you know, all kinds of stuff, and me with a little state jail, uh, state uh, bid, but they got me on the same bus. And so I get on the bus, and I get next to this guy, and he's from Ohio, and so we're cuffed into each other. We're cuffed, uh, you know, like this, around our waist, next to each other, and uh, at this point, uh, you know, I would have thoughts of my kids, and I would have thoughts of my family, but the grip was too big, you know. I. I loved the lifestyle. I loved the drugs. And I, again, I didn't really, I don't think I understood what it was like to love my kids or even just love somebody. You know, I, I didn't know how to do that. Like, I just knew how to do the streets, you know. And so uh, the lifestyle, everything was just so euphoric. And so I'm, I'm incarcerated next to this guy and we're on this bus. And, you know, when that happens and you're getting extradited like that, it's just like the movies. They're not going to tell you when you're stopping. So this took like 18 days to get me from Texas to, you know, just getting out of Texas was like four or five days, you know, six days. I don't remember. It was a lot of days. And so I meet this guy, and we don't have a pencil, we don't have a pen, we don't have paper. You don't have none of that because, you know, they just never know who's going to try to get you. These guys have, you know, big charges. And so he starts telling me about this place called Breckenridge, Texas. I'm like, Breckenridge, Texas? And so he's like, yeah. He's like, if you want to make a lot of money, he's like, you're gonna, you need to go there. So he gives me an address. I still remember it because for 18 days, I said this address to myself. That's how di <laughs> diabolical that is, though, that I said that to myself. I would get to, because they stop you in different cities and different states, and I would say to myself all day on the bus, all day until I laid down on the hard floor because you would lay down 24 hours, sometimes 48, sometimes 72 hours, and I would lay there, and I would say that address to myself, and I would um, fall asleep, wake up, 
And so I have this Fidel Castro beard. I finally get to Jersey. Remember, none of this stuff, when I say 11-gun incidents and all that, none of the stuff stopped me. I've been, like, fully bloodied faces, pistol whipped and all kinds of, you know, I think at 15, you know, I had first time that I had a gun in my mouth. You know, so, like, all of these things never really stopped me. To this point, I am still thinking of taking over the planet. It's, it's crazy. You know, I get to Jersey. I, I scream, somebody give me a pencil. And so they give me a pencil, and I finally get the address out. I start writing to this address. I don't know Breckenridge, Texas is a small little town in Texas. I never even heard of a small little town. And as crazy as that sounds, right, because we only live vicariously through television. So I know everybody in Miami got skates, right? That's what you think when I'm growing up in New York. I'm thinking everybody got skates, and I think little small country town. I don't know. It's the country, and everybody's driving. I thought everybody in Texas had horses and cowboy hats with cowboy boots. I really did. I wind up getting out, and... Uh, I'm going to make this dope deal because now I know the Florida guy, I know this guy, I know this guy, and I know the guy in Texas, and I'm going to wind up going back to McAllen, Texas, back to Donna, Texas. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this deal. I'm going to make like twenty, twenty-five thousand in one shot. And so when I get out, I wind up in Breckenridge, Texas. And if I was to say, if I was to like give you a picture, bam, 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 with the hound dog on the side, you know, it's this crazy picture, and I'm like, what is going on here, you know, I'm this city slicker, I don't know nothing, I wind up going with this girl, and uh, before you know it, she introduces me to methamphetamines, and so she's, you know, I'm like, you got cocaine, marijuana, you know, I'm looking for all the drugs that I know, she's like, no, we got this, it's the same thing, and so I remember telling, smoking this thing, and taking hits of meth, and, you know, it's in a light bulb, and I'm thinking, I just ain't doing nothing, but it's like three days later. I was supposed to be in my drop, you know, this, this meet up to make this 25000 I'm supposed to meet on this day. Well, I'm a day late, so that's gone. So I'm not going to, you know, in those, in those things, you're not a day late. You know, you're a day late, everybody starts wigging out, and they think you're the cops. You know, so I missed that opportunity. So now I'm in Breckenridge, Texas. The money that I had for my startup has basically ran out. I have no family. I have no friends. And I'm in Breckenridge, Texas. I don't know what to do. And so she's like, man, you know, let's go over here. But, you know, the drug dealer and me and trying to figure stuff out. That's why I always tell people, you could drop me in the middle of Africa. I'm making it home, you know. That's just kind of my life, you know. And so I, uh, I wind up going and, uh, you know, by the grace of God, now I know that. But I wind up going to this other house and I see a girl sitting there and for the first time in my life now I remember in New York I used to kick people out of the hallway because they you know sell them heroin and they're shooting up in the hallway that would that would get me upset I'd be like what are you doing so now I'm years later I'm in I'm in Texas I'm desperate I don't know what to do there's the two country drug about three country one guy's Aryan Brotherhood and the uh, two guys the country and they're sitting there and the girl sitting down she shoots up meth and I see her eyes roll back to her head and I see her have the moment of her life and so I go, I want that. And so they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I want to, I want to hold, you know, I'm going to hold my arm and you, somebody do it for me. I just felt weird about shooting up, you know? They're like, are you sure? I go, yes. And so they do it. What happens is that turned me into a monster. Before you know it, you know, fast forward, the guy there, I get real close with the Aryan Brotherhood, which was crazy because I'm Puerto Rican from up north and they don't, we don't like each other, but we had a common denominator and that was money and drugs. At that point, he gets incarcerated, but I already know the Mexican guy 
this is why I start venturing out to Fort Worth and all that. And I already know the Mexican guy. So Mexican guy, we get to talk in Spanish. They can't talk in Spanish. So before you know it, I make the move and I wind up in Mineral Wells getting a house there. All my neighbors, because I had the cooking experience, all my neighbors, I had them believing that I was, you know, hey, uh, I'm a chef. And so I'm cooking food, bringing them food while being the main meth distributor on that block of full of houses and nobody knew this. At this point, I'm moving into... You know, I, I always share the story how I would like, you know, I would go after the guy and if I can get him high and I can destroy the... Now, I, I know this now, but looking then, my my plan was I'd take the guy out and then he goes to work. He gives me his car. I'm in his home. I have his wife, everything. Like, I'm just destroying home by home. I wind up getting another place in Mesquite, Dallas. So now I have a place in Mesquite, Dallas. I have a place in uh mineral wells you know um so i'm i become the main meth meth distributor from mesquite all the way through odessa through abilene and every small town cisco albany all those towns my life is chaos not only now do i have tons of drugs everybody knows me as new york jay and uh, i'm distributing methamphetamines everywhere i'm paying everybody off i'm just living a life of total chaos I just thought it was just the life, way of life. You know, I have uh, selling all this meth. I'm destroying homes. I'm seeing all this happening. I'm selling to now all the truckers. You know, so I'm selling to one trucker, selling to all the truckers and motorcycle gangs, you know. So I'm in the movie Breaking Bad, basically, you know. Life's chaotic. And every now and then when I would trip out, I remember calling. I remember calling my mom a couple times or my dad and telling him, like, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die because people were, look, like, after me because I'm, after a while, I'm the only guy that's not from there, and everybody else is from there. So I become the the, the killing point, I guess. And to fast forward, man, I, I I get to this moment. You know, we're getting closer to God trying to talk to me. I've been in a couple of uh, incidents, but before the incident, this is the first thing that happens to me. One morning, I'm going to go sell drugs as usual. And, you know, I would do a lot of stopping. I had different houses and different safe houses because I would put drugs and then make sure that I would stop there to deliver here and do that. And so I get in the car, and this is, I could probably count on these hands from the 20s to the age of 36, 10 fingers, and I can count on these hands how many times I was sober. So I've been up, I don't know, 10 days, 14 days, you know, just incredible amount of days. You know, I don't think me and my wife has ever went into these kind of details. You know, I'm carrying guns with me. I am... uh I'm a loose cannon. But this day, I was sober. So I'm sober. I got a driver. I'm in the car. And, uh, you know, I remember kicking back like this. And I'm just kind of looking up. And this is my first time ever in my life that I am. That I'm sitting there and and I'm looking at the clouds. And I kind of feel like I hear a voice. You know, I I don't know what Jesus sounds like. I never read my Bible. I just remember looking at the clouds and... I remember the clouds kind of speaking to me, and I know that's going to sound super trippy, but I'm in the thing, you know, the girl's talking to me, but you ever seen the movies where it's like everything's slow motion? And so I'm crying, like if I got baptized by the Holy Ghost, I'm crying like that, hysterically. And she's like, we're going to get arrested. What are you, what's wrong with you, you know? And I hear this voice, everything kind of muffles out, and and he says, why are you killing, stealing, and destroying the very lives I'm giving people? And I had never read John 10, 10. I never read the verse. I just heard that voice. And when I heard that voice, 
it was like I, I just crying. I was hysterically crying, but it was like the faucet being turned off. And so, boom, I stopped crying, and I get normal like this. And so then she's like, are you all right? And so I'm like, yeah, I I'm all right. But I'm just wigging out at that moment, and I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, man, you know, you're wigging out. And I don't tell her it's God or anything. I just kind of go like, I'm just like tripping. I go and I deliver the drugs. The difference is that now I'm delivering the drugs, and I feel, I guess, a, a remorse. I feel like I'm looking at a lady because I had all these big drug dealers that I was giving it to and sometimes in the house would be like maybe a mom or maybe like somebody and I just you know I knew that was destroying teachers lives and dentists and I, I had dentists I was serving I uh go and I, I handle the drugs but I feel this conviction but I don't listen because I don't know how to stop but I wind up telling people in that town when I will go and I'm delivering I said man you know what I didn't tell the girl in the car but now the girl hears this because she's coming with me and I tell them, hey, you know, I, I feel like God's speaking to me. And everybody would laugh. And everybody in the room thought I was crazy. And they would tell me, like, are you high? You're saying that because you high, bro. Like, God ain't talking to you. And so time goes on, and I don't listen. I keep delivering the drugs. Obviously, I've been incarcerated a couple times, even in Texas, state prison, TDCJ. And at this point, I'm going to get incarcerated again. But I don't get incarcerated yet. What winds up happening, I get a, a short incarceration, a short stint. I get out. I don't listen still. And when I get out, I got to get back on my feet. So I start. The guy who's selling to me in the town, I wind up surpassing him and needing more than what he could provide. And they didn't like it. They wind up setting me up, you know, one of the lead blood guys out there. And uh, I wind up in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm going to pick up drugs. It's a setup. They beat me for about... I'm going to say it felt like three hours, but I'm going to say it's probably like 30 minutes. My head is out to here. I'm f full of blood. I'm laying on the ground because I kept trying to pick up my head because they kept saying they had a gun in the head of the girl. I make the handoff. I turn around. I take the drugs. I go, yo, this ain't real. I grab the guy by his legs. He falls. I go to hit him. The guy comes out from the from the woods, and he's like, yo, the, you know, basically drop your arm. And so when I drop my arm and turn around, they start beating me, beating me, beating me. I remember hearing the clack of the gun, and, and I tell people this all the time, I feel like that's the moment I got saved, and I know it might sound like, because it was the first time that, I guess I've been in all these gun incidents, but this is the first time that I heard the and I said, oh, he's about to shoot me. And so I knew enough that I didn't know how God speaks. I didn't know. I just knew that at that moment, like I, I was, I don't know if there's a heaven and a hell, I got to make sure that I'm good and I don't know how to repent and I don't know how to talk to God normal. So I start yelling, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And when I look up, they're in the car and they took off. They they took everything and the, the guy never pulls the trigger. But the clack went. So he must have cocked it back. I didn't hear the cock. I just know he leaves. And so when I get up, the girl gets up and she looks at me and she loses it. Then ah! I look down and I guess I'm drenched in blood from the top of my head all the way going down. You know, and I, you know, I, I'm just like, we're going to help too, but not as much as see because I can't see myself. I walk by, I start going to these, hey, I need help. And so people, you know, your baggy jeans, my phone winded up being down here, even though they stole everything, the baggy jeans hid the phone. And so I pulled out my phone. 
911 comes, they're trying to tell me it's a dope deal. I say it's not. I tell them I got jumped. They know I'm lying, but they can't prove it. And so nobody opened the door for me. The hotel actually locked the door. I winded up seeing my face and all that. I wound up going to the hospital and calling another drug dealer to actually bring me drugs. The insanity of that is that it, I didn't stop then either because I always thought I was invincible. And what it did was it caused this this attitude of this pride to rise up and say, you know what, you messed with the wrong guy. So I wind up going to that dude's house. He's sitting there with a shotgun. I go into the kitchen because it's shotgun. I go, what's wrong? And I know he did it and he knows he did it, but I can't prove it. And he, So we're both trying to talk to each other in a way like nothing happened. All I'm trying to do is get more drugs from the guy. I could care less if he set me up. I'm going to get him later. This guy... I mean, I'm thinking now he must have raised grandma or somebody that knew the Lord because he says to me, we're, you know, he's like, man, I'm going to give you this to start. And so I'm back to square one, you know, and I'm like, it's cool, you know, because I'm I'm going I'm, I'm to come up. And so he gives me about an eight ball of dope methamphetamine. And he uh, he winds up uh, telling me, I said, man, I said, you know, I tell him, I thought I was going to die. He's like, you know, you're going to hell, right? A drug dealer tells me this and not even a, a believer. Uh, Christian, you know, he says, hey, you know, you're going to hell. And I go, I ain't going to hell, bro. I say that our father is what I tell him. I say, I ain't going to hell. I, say, I, I know that our father, I could do the Hail Mary, look, Hail Mary full of grace, you know. And uh, he's, he looks at me. He's like, nah, bro, you sell drugs, bro. You're going to hell. Like you, you actually, now he, look, check, check out the, the thing here. He goes, you actually mess up lives. Remember what the Lord had said to me in the car? So I'm like, so it's the first time, you know, all these little things are connecting, and I walk away, and I go, like, going to hell. I ain't going to hell. This is crazy. Hell's for bad people. Weird, right? Because I don't think I'm a bad person, even though I do all that stuff. Because my family did it. All these people around me did it. The TV did it. Everybody everybody did it, right? As long as you go to church on Sunday, you can just do whatever you want. That was my mentality. So I never really saw myself as a bad person. This guy's now telling me I'm going to hell. Then I had that one moment, you know. And uh, before you know it, you know, I get set up. I tell people it was the weirdest thing ever. You know, I, I'm going to go to a safe house. I'm coming back. I had just, I was one step away from picking up the big load. And, and uh, God's grace, he didn't, he let me do it. I'm uh, pulling up to the safe house in Weatherford. And, you know, you got cars on the side of the road that say for sale and all that. Okay. The car, everything that was around there, feds were in it. You know, all these people were in it. <laughs> there were all cops in there. You know, the hot dog cart guy had a badge. You know, everybody was like, I get to the thing. They kick down the door. They go, all right, get on the ground, get on the ground. And so I get on the ground. You know, all the guns are pointed at me, and they, uh, they don't tell me nothing about drugs. They go, you're under arrest, aggravated assault. You're going to be doing a long time. And so I'm like, aggravated assault. I said, hey, I saw nobody. And so uh, they wind up finding under 250 grams of methamphetamines, and uh, they're going to stick me with a charge. And they want to give me 25 years. They're like, you're going to get 25 years for aggravated robbery. I say, aggravated robbery? They say, yeah, you assaulted this guy. Some guy had set up this other guy, and the, when the cops came, the girl, the guy told the girl, which is uh, it's a whole story. The, the guys even wrote me a letter in the you know in the future. He wrote me a letter and uh, he was in prison apologizing. So that even is a wild story. But she says it was New York Jay, so they went looking for me. She told the guy, the guy's all beat up. I go, what they take? I said, man, a hundred dollars credit card. I was like, man, I got like fifty-two of those. I don't need that. So we're arguing back and forth. Me and the detectives, they're behind the the glass, and so they're gonna give me this lie detector test. And he says. Okay, 
you want me to help you, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. So you were there that night. You were high. You got angry. You hit the guy. I was like, that's not true. So I jump up and I go, I'm a drug dealer. I don't, I, I confess to everything. I'm a drug dealer. I don't do any of this stuff. I don't, I don't, I said, I pay people. I got the pride, right? I get up, I go, I pay people to, to smash people. I don't do that on my own. Why would I go knock on this door and hit them in the, all the guys from Breckenridge, all the detectives come out. And, and so I even tell them, tell them who I am. You know who I am. I was okay with having that identity. That, that, that identity made me feel like I was somebody. The proper identity of who I was supposed to be, like, that never occurred to me. Like, it was, I was proud of who I was. I was a drug dealer. I was a thug. I was proud of that. Everybody around me glorified me and made me feel like, like that's a good thing to be. You're cool or you're whatever, whatever the thought was. And so I wound up getting incarcerated. I'm facing 25 years, and uh, it's the first time that I couldn't buy myself out. I had the money. Girl comes up. She's looking at me on the other side of the glass, and she's like, Judge said no bond. And I remember losing it. No bond. Boom, I hit the window. I'm cussing. So she leaves. Takes the money, I guess. No, she winds up putting some of that money in my books, all that. And so I'm in this pod, and I look down, and there's a Fate to Fate by Kenneth Copeland. The moment in the car, the drug dealer, you know, all these little pieces. And then a Fate to Fate. I start reading the Fate to Fate. Nothing changed right away. You know, I start reading the Fate to Fate. I start thinking. It's speaking to me. I'm like, man, it doesn't happen in that cell. You know, I, I just, I'm yelling at guys because I still want to watch rap, and I'm trying to fight these guys because they want to change the TV. I wind up one day going to my cell because I'm facing the 25 years. Literally, I know God was going to drop it to four years. So I wound up getting a four-year sentence this last bid. I, I, I fall on my knees, and I, 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 just, I just don't want to live like that no more. The interesting part is that I meet a guy there, and he tells me he's a pastor. And I don't know what a pastor is. So I'm like... All I know is a priest, you know, collar, bald head, you know, Latino, you know, smoking cigarettes or whatever. But he's like, yeah, I'm here for you. And so I start laughing. I go, you ain't here for me, bro. You, you got in trouble and you're here. And so the next day, you know, he goes to his cell. You know, my wife thinks he's an angel. My wife's like, you met an angel? Because I, I have pretty much a memory like an elephant. I don't remember this guy's name. I go to my cell. I look up the next day. He's uh, in his cell. and He's prostrated on the ground, kind of like, you know, with his blanket. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this guy some questions. But he don't get up. So I go work out. He didn't get up. I go eat. He didn't get up. You know, we're talking an hour later, man. And I'm like, what the heck? So I, I go, all right. So I'm eating a soup. And he gets up. And so I yell at him, yo! Because there's, there's, there's this, uh, you know, it kind of looks like this, you know, like one big O and there's a gate in the middle. And so we would meet at that gate. And so I go, hey, meet me at the gate. So I go meet him at the gate. I go, man, what were you doing? He's like, I was praying for you. He goes, I'm only here for you. That's all. He goes, I'm only here for you. And I uh, I was like, what does that even mean? You know, he, I said, you were. <laughs> he, I go, he goes, I was praying. I go, you said that many our fathers? Because I, th you know, I, thought, I thought he was just our father. And I didn't know you could actually talk to God. And so this guy's like, I'm here for you. He's like, you ever read the Bible? He starts telling me stuff. He says, look, I'm here. I said, man, you're, so you're not guilty. He goes, no, I'm going to leave soon. He goes, 
I, I'm, I'm, I was married, and my wife's addicted to drugs. I'm a pastor, and so she came, started arguing with me in the car. Neighbors called the cops. She threw the pipe under my car. You know, she smokes crack. She goes, I'm, he goes, I'm here, but I, I'm here for you. I'm, it's the only reason I could be here. So he's like, you need to go read your Bible. So I go in my cell, man, and I, I start reading the Bible, you know. And uh, I think I was like, I read Proverbs that night. I don't think I slept. I read Proverbs. I started going through Psalms, Matthew. And I felt like, you ever seen Beetlejuice where, where the hand comes out the soup and pulls them in? Okay, that's how I felt. That's what I felt happened to me. I was pulled in. I, it's like things started clicking. And I was like, oh, my God, I was so excited. I was just reading, 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 and I got to my knees, and I just started, like, thanking God, you know. And I, I think it's the first time I ever really talked to him, you know. And I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for, for the man I am. And I didn't know how to repent, so I just started I just started listing all my sins, you know. I'm like, for being a cheater and adultery, for not being a dad, for being a drug addict, for being greedy for money. Like, I just started just i don't know it was just me and the lord and the next morning comes up about four in the morning you know i run out go hey you know he's already watching i think tbn and all that because that's what he got me to watching after a while so he i go hey he comes up we start talking at the gate he said what happened i said i've I, I read the bible i go man this is so good he goes what'd you get out of it i said god he said no no, no. what'd you get out of it i said god he starts talking to me about how to read the bible and then he tells me like he said you know it's like your first snickers from commissary he said you take a bite and then he said, you know how you taste every layer? He said, when you're out on the freeway and you eat a Snickers, you just eat it. Said, but when you're incarcerated, you take a bite. And you could taste the caramel, the chocolate. He goes, that's how I want you to read the Bible. <laughs> he goes, when you read something, I want you to just chew on it. And so uh, I started doing that. started walking it out. Fast forward, before you know it, he, uh, I go looking for him because I wind up getting into the trustee camp. I always had favor and I become like the main cook there because of the chef thing. You know, every one of those things did something for me that the enemy used for destro to destroy me. Every one of those things, God had a plan with it. And so there I am, and I come out. I told the guard, hey, I want to bring him sandwiches before you know it. The guy's gone. I go, he's not here? They go, yeah, he was innocent. They, they let him go home. So that rocked me. I wind up going down before you know it. I'm doing my time. I'm... I'm praying with people, I'm evangelizing, I'm doing everything the Bible says, and I just believed what it said, you know, I was like, this is what it says, I'm just going to go do it, and I had the zeal, and I'm out there, and I'm doing all this stuff, and amazing to say, I wind up getting moved to a pre-release facility, and I'm sitting in a bunk, this kid walks in, now, as you remember, I told you that I had a son named Jonathan, and then uh, Jay, and Nina, and I, I didn't, I'd never seen Jonathan, I just knew Jonathan was out there. And he walks in, and he's about the age. You know, he's 19. And he walks in, and I go, hey, what's up? I'm fired up for the Lord now, right? So I'm sitting on my bunk, and he's like, I go, so what's your name? He goes, Jonathan. So inwardly, I thought, oh, my son. So I'm going to follow this guy. So I start following this guy. I start discipling this guy. Start walking the yard together. Start doing all these things. Later, I would marry his mom, which is my baby Ruth. And so... um. Even that got turned into a story, you know. It's like the best thing that happened well, besides Jesus, you know. Uh, just meeting my wife and, and we started writing. And, uh, you know, we started writing when I was in prison. And uh, I get out. I, I don't wind up coming to her. I wind up going somewhere else. And uh, she's like, ah, you know, I don't know if I could wait. You know, and I'm like, oh, it didn't matter. I was going to walk this out. And even though I wanted her to wait. 
we get together and little by little I start telling her things and she's like, why don't you go back to those places? Because I was told I want to go back to you. Before you know it, we're, we're, we're hitting, I don't know how to do nothing. I'm just doing it. I'm just going back. I wanted to bring light, you know, to these places. And uh, before you know it, God restores, brings all my kids uh, to Texas. Little by little, me and my wife were getting on planes and picking them up and they're coming over and now they all live here and now we have two Jonathans and uh you know we 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 got together and uh got married and you know the journey continues now we're pastors of a church and um it's, it's still a wild journey you know it's a wild journey uh still real heavy and and helping people out but the story still continues i i wish i i had answers you know i only have one answer it's a one step program right and uh my family's doing great and uh just got my doctorate a week ago so uh, kind of interesting how God keeps doing things in our lives that seem impossible. And uh, that's my story. That's my story. Juan, I want to take it back a little bit here. Yeah. Um, first of all, how, how many years did you spend in, in prison? About 10. I spent about 10 years in prison. Uh, my last one was four. Then I did like two, two, one, six months, you know. Yeah. Maybe over 10. I say 10 is a good number. Could have been 11. Yeah. But that's a 10. And uh, um, when you got introduced to this uh, pastor that was in prison as well, yeah. wrongly convicted, you mentioned that you started reading your Bible. He recommended to go and spend time in the Word of God, and yes. he encouraged you to do that. And then you said that you started to do what the Bible says. And I'm just curious, as you begin to do what it says, freshly new Christian, right? Could you tell us a little bit about what you experienced as you begin to do what the Word of God was telling you to do in prison? Yeah. Uh, a lot of fear. <laughs> in, in a weird way, right? Super nervous, new, right? I remember the first time God was like, okay, I want you to go talk to those guys. And it was a table of nothing but killers. And they got tattoos, you know, they got the lip cut, everything's crazy, right? I mean, I'm fully tattooed, too, but these would look crazy, crazy. And so... uh Allowing him to be the one leading me despite of how I was feeling was uh, a great lesson in that. Not really knowing what it was going to be like. That's why I say fear, like stepping into the unknown of like what it's like to forgive, what it's like, and standing in what you actually believe. And I know this this sounds so, uh, might sound so like, well, of course. I don't, I don't think that happens. I don't think it happens much. I think most people know the Bible here but don't live it out. And so they don't get to encounter or experience Jesus and learn from Jesus. And I feel like in prison, the training ground there was that, you know, I always tell people, like, I see people get saved, and then it's like, you know, they say they're saved, and, you know, you got to beg them to do things. That didn't happen to me. When I encountered Jesus, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I was just nervous on how to do it. I uh, wanted, we started a, a prayer by the tree. I wanted to do those things. Nobody had to tell me to evangelize. Nobody, now, was it uh, scary? Yes. You know, maybe fear was a very strong word, It was, it, but it crept in. You know, I just had to move on what I believed was, was true, not on how I was feeling. And I wanted, you know, it's the born-again experience, right? So here I am doing all these things that I've never done before, but I wanted something new. So I kept doing things that kind of went against what I even believed. You get what I'm saying? My my prison is so interesting because I started getting known in the prison. 
uh, everybody kind of knew me in the prison. We started a faith-based pod. It was the first one starting there, and we started it on the third floor. And so from a certain time to a certain time, you know, I would tell guys, yo, you can't smoke here. And they were like, man, New York, chill out, man. We locked up. I said, you locked up. I'm in college. I used to tell them, I'm in college, you know. I'm learning, you know. I'm not locked up. And so uh, they would get upset, but I would stand. All the gangs would be like, New York, you don't have to fight. You don't have to, you know, there was a couple scenarios that happened, and they, they were kind of like, jump in and be like, hey, we're not there yet, you know, but but you don't have to. And so I felt like that boldness spoke to people. They would come to my room or to my, I say my room, but, you know, they would come visit me like Nicodemus in the night, you know, four in the morning, have conversations with me. I would pray for them so that nobody else saw that what they were doing because it had, something in me was attracting them to what I was doing. It was just a great experience, even though it felt weird because when you're doing those things, you know, even my uh, my uh, Ruthie's John, my Jonathan, the one I met in there. After a while, he was like, "Man," because I I I was being different, and you know, everybody there was a lot of people still tattooing, a lot of people still doing a bunch of stuff, and so when when you're gonna live that out, you start looking different than everybody else. Yeah. And and I think that's the part where it becomes problematic. But it was exciting. I loved it. Mm. I, I loved it. It, was weird. it sounds weird. People always tell me like, "Man," and I still go back and tell these stories and. They were like, you're way too happy, bro. You locked up. I was like, nah, bro. It was this joy of the Lord. You know, I was walking the yard one day, and I felt, again, I had a cloud moment. And so when I was looking at the clouds, I felt like the Lord would, I, I used to think that the clouds were the angel's canvas. And I would look at it and see like an arm and say, oh, he wants me to be strong today, you know. And one day, I was walking, I was like, man, God, I want to get out. I feel so alone, you know. When are we going to get married? When are we going to do this? He's like, Juan, he's like, until you could be happy with me, you're never going to make someone happy. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I enjoyed my single life being incarcerated. Yeah. I started to learn that it doesn't matter where you're at. Because, you know, my, my encounter with Jesus in that incarceration, it wasn't just, it got to the point where I just wasn't with Jesus so he could get me out. I was already out. <laughs> I was already free. I was already happy. Uh, th those questions meant nothing. And then eventually I got out, right? Juan, can you talk to me about the uh, one thing that you, you mentioned throughout your testimony was your identity, right? Not knowing who you were. Yeah. Um, and so you went into these all of these different areas to try to solidify or, or find, you know, who you are, yeah. define who you are in drugs and in all of these different things. Um, as you begin to build relationship with Jesus... Uh, what did that process look like of now identifying as a son of God? How did that come about in, in your life? How did he do that for you? You know, I, it's, it's an interesting question um, because I, I'm always thinking, because I, I just don't want to give you an answer that just sounds like a, a verse that's not lived out. You know what I mean? So I think like for me, the more I started spending time with him, because... You know, I didn't instantly, you know, you hear all these terms like father, deliverer, rescuer. I think for me, the more he revealed himself to me as I kept growing with him, the more he revealed me to me. You know, like first I was rescued, right? Cause I was incarcerated, drugs, all this stuff. And I just knew he was a rescuer. I just knew he was my deliverer. And as that relationship kept growing and the more, the more I knew the truth, he started to identify some of these lies. Right? Because most of my life, 
I had, that's why I had so many aliases. That's why I was trying, I'll be this to this person, this to that person, you know? Trying to be all these things with a huge void in my life that was destroying my life. The more I got to know him and the more he revealed himself to me and the more I kept walking with him, because I see people always focus on all these problems and all this stuff. Like, it's not where I went. I just started walking with him. And he just, year after year, even today, he's still showing me me. And the more I know him, I know that I am made in his likeness and his image, right? Like, that is the goal, not to make a better version of Juan, because then I'm going to be like, this version is this, this version. That's not the goal. The goal is to be, you're supposed to be looking more like him so that when somebody looks at you, they see him, and then they scratch their head because they're like, Juan, how are you like that? And I get to say, it's him. So my identity is rooted and grounded in who he is. And the more it's becoming one, right? The more I spend time with him and read my word. Uh, they didn't know how to read my word, right? In the beginning, I'm just reading. I'm just cramming stuff. I, I put myself out there to try to pray. And maybe it came out wrong, but after 90 times, 100 times, 200 times, right? I remember this guy, uh, when I started reading, I didn't know how to read the King James. But everybody around me was like, if you ain't reading the King James, you, and, and this is important, I think, uh, to the question of identity. Because they were like, if you don't read the King James, here we go again, right? They're trying to stamp, if you don't do the King James, you don't have a relationship with God. And I'm over here like, I don't, I barely, I started reading when I was 36. Isn't that interesting? I got a doctorate and I started reading when I was 36. And so, like, I knew how to read, but I'm saying I wasn't an avid reader. And so here I am reading the easy-to-read Bible. And God's given me revelation that they're like, man, where'd you get that from? Where's that text come from? And I was like, well, it was in the easy to read, it's in the easy to read Bible. It's like a kid Bible. But I'm getting all this revelation because God is still speaking to me and his spirit is still true. The guy comes in that was a Christian and then he became a Mormon and he spent enough time with me to see Jesus that by the time I left, he became a Christian again. And I think a lot of times, we're, even in Christianity, we're looking to all these people trying to be these people rather than being Jesus. I mean, for me, it's just always been a daily walk with him. And the closer I get with him, he always promises to be there with me. And he's here with me. And so that's really how I've gained everything. It's, it's, I've always kept it simple. I never had like a system or a pattern to try to like, this is how you do with Jesus. Like spend time with him, talk to him. The Bible's important, not because, so you could have all this puffed up head knowledge, but so that you could know Jesus so that you could know who he is. Hmm. Now, when you, when you came out of, uh, uh, out of prison, yeah. there's a lot of uh, people that would come out of prison and have a hard time in their relationship with God yeah. coming out because now you have all of the other things that you used to struggle with. Now they're an option again. Whereas in, in prison, maybe it was a little bit harder to get involved with those things. So for you specifically, did you have any um, problems with that, with coming out into this new place of like physical freedom, totally. right? And yeah. having all of these options, did you struggle in any way with that? Yes. And uh, it gets easier and it gets better. But here's the problem. So my discernment muscle... Uh, like I said, everything I've done here got turned it around, right? When I got out, I could see people, and I knew what kind of drug they were on. I could actually, if they were walking to a hotel, I could beat them to the room, and I could tell you what they were going to do tomorrow, like, instantly, right? Because 23 years of my life, 36, at 36, I got saved. 
right? So 23 years of my life, 13 to 36, right? I wind up, like, I can see that. And so at those times, I remember, like, turning on, I, think, I don't know, I forgot what songs were on, but turning on Kim Walker and kind of, like, jamming to her music or, you know, Carrie Job, whoever it was. And the fact that, I, and I always tell people this, even though, like, this happened to me not long ago, right? Because of that, like, I could see things. But God has given me a way to fight that. And so even though... When I said I didn't go directly to Ruthie was because I didn't, we weren't married. Ruthie's the first woman in my life that we didn't have sex before we got married, right? So I get to say that one time. And so I'm like, yes. So came out, obviously wanted a woman. Obviously there was all these things, but I just wanted to please the Lord. And I knew, I already knew what this got me. I never, you know, I, I want to see what this got me. And so... All of these struggles when I got out, whether it was being with a woman, whether it was getting high again, whether it was, man, I remember crying out, you know, nine months, I had no money, but just something in me was greater than whatever was going on on the outside. You know, you read all these verses, but it's the truth. You know, I wanted to quit, but I had encountered Jesus. Like, that was real and tangible to me. And even though I didn't do, know how to do any of it. When when those things would come, and I, I would think about getting high, I remember one day telling my uh, beautiful wife at a Ross, like, I remember getting so upset because I didn't even know how to be a Christian husband. I didn't know how to be a, a Christian dad, and I didn't, I didn't know how to do anything. Remember all those things uh, I didn't know how to do. And so every day I, I think of stuff. I said, man, you know what? If there was a time I wanted to get high, it'd be right now. And so I would I would stand next to her. And I wouldn't leave her side because I knew that if I left, I might probably go get high. Do you get insane? So it's not that I have all those thoughts. I had every thought, every single thought you could think of. Selling drugs again, uh, getting high again, being the man again. All of those things, I'm constantly... Now, they used to happen like every other day. Now they happen like once or twice a year, you know. Uh, so it happens less and less because I learned how to be a new person. I've learned how to be a new person. But in the very beginning, yeah, you're going to have all those struggles. Every time you're going to think that your idea and your way is the best way to do it. And you have to always go to playing out the tape. I always, you know, in the beginning, I always played out the tape. And if I like the way the movie ends, then I would do it again. But I didn't like the way the movie ended every single time. It was me in prison or me almost dying or me losing my kids and losing everybody. Well, and how's your relationship with your father today? Um, you know what? That is uh, a good question. I, I'm okay with my relationship with my father. I think like today, um, you know, I still call, you know, he calls. So it's still working. It's still a work in progress. Those things would affect me. You know, I would think about it and stuff. And the Lord said to me, one, what do you want to see? And, and the things I mentioned were the fruit of the spirit, you know, like love, kind. you know, he's like, one, you can't expect that from people that really don't have that relationship with me so be patient and so that's what we're being right we have conversations right we we talk about things but i think my life for itself when we talk it makes me feel good that his conversations are like man i see all this stuff you're doing so i know jesus is speaking to him uh so our relationship all my relationship has been pretty mended and and well you know we you know my soul as well uh, i have conversations with them we have conversations you know, I guess I've learned to be a father by our Heavenly Father. 
taught me how to be a husband, taught me how to be a father, taught me all these things. And so how I feel about my kiddos, I don't know if my father feels like that about me because I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows. So I don't know if that was a mouthful on relationship. I think it's a good relationship. I just think we're at where he's at. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And and lastly, just with your children, you know, there was a, a large, a good portion of your life where, you know, you mentioned you were absent or you weren't fully there. Yeah. How's your relationship with your children today? How has the Lord helped you in that today? <laughs> Amazing. Now, look, my daughter's actually sitting here right now, and uh, uh, she actually works for the church, you know, helps the church, volunteers in the church. So they all came and got baptized. They're all doing their thing. Uh, my son, too. Let me tell you something. When I got out, I was a lot further in my walk, and my kids were just starting. And there was a lot of hurts. There was a lot of probably disappointments, you know. And so uh, I would tell people, I go, like, it took us like six years to literally have, like, our relationship's phenomenal now. But it was a lot of work of, like, you don't text me. This is how I feel. You know, uh, this is how I feel. You know, this, da 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 and, yeah, a lot of that, and not quitting. Not quitting. I think a lot of people opt out because something's not working. You've got to understand that I wasn't in their lives for so long, and, and I would get so frustrated because I wanted them to be the son that I am to the father, to our Heavenly Father, right? I'm like, I want you to be like that. But they were still learning how to be my daughter. Like, I, they were still learning how to have conversations with me. I mean, shoot.
But there was one specific day that would change the course of my life. I was walking towards the gym to go to my dance class, and this young boy, he was like around, I believe, like 16, 17 at the time, said hi to me. And at that time, I had not had any relationship with any any type of male at that at that point. And he says, I want you to come uh, with me the following day to come hang out with me. And I said, sure, let's, I, you know, because I haven't had any attention. So I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go. And in the room, all of these men were like lined up. And I was, um, at that point, I was being taken advantage of. I ended up being in this relationship for like three years. And in this relationship, I got pregnant twice and I had an abortion. And when I had the abortion, that set the course of uh, feeling like condemned, feeling like I wanted to commit suicide. I was in the backseat of a, of a car and I was with these men. And as they were sitting in, in, in the car, I heard gunshots. And at that moment, I'm like, um, God, you know, help me. So, I, um, like I mentioned, I grew up in Oceanside, California. I had both my parents, um, mom and dad, um, and I have three sisters. And during this time, um, it's, it's your average family, you know, um, both parents in the house. And in that t- during that time, that was kind of like unfamiliar within the, in the community to have your dad present in the house. So um, that was something that was uh, very people looked up to us, and so it was something that was like very unusual during that um, during those times. And um, my father, he was a, a blessing. A lot of people knew him um, in the community. He was always, you know, giving money out to the homeless. And he just was a all-around great man. And he was like my hero. And today he's still my hero, um, even though I'm going to share these things with you guys. Um, so I grew up in the family with my mom and my dad, like I mentioned. And my dad, he um, had addiction problems with crystal meth. And my mother had addictions to pharmaceutical drugs. And during that time, the drugs was like um, in that era because it was like uh, I was born in 1988. So um, throughout the 80s, like the crystal meth pandemic was like very popular then. And so it was like nothing to have that um, drug going along. And so during that time, when I would see my dad doing these things, I didn't know what was going on because I was like about five. And I realized like, OK, there's drugs in the house. I would see my mom <clears throat> struggling with these uh, Vicodin and um volume and, and things like that. And um, during this time, she really did need it because she she had like some medical things that were going on. So she was um, had kidney failure. She had knee, knee failure and she just got addicted to the medication. And when she didn't have those medications, um, the house was very unstable at times. It was a lot of arguing, um, anger, and her anger would um, translate into sometimes uh, verbal abuse and things like that. Now, my mom was like a straight-A student, so she was very smart, very intelligent, and a lot of those um, attributes I learned from her as far as like with education and making sure I um, graduated from school and things like that. But fast forward, like as a five-year-old, I started, I didn't know what was happening in the house. I didn't know like my parents were battling with these things and they were just trying to do the best that they could during those times. So I started to um, act out. I started to um, be bad at school. I started to fight at school. I was um, even not kind of even paying attention in the classes. And so they would like take me outside of the classes and put me into like special education classes. They even at one time couldn't control my behavior. So they were like, well, let's try this medication. And so they tried putting me on um, Prozac during this time. And during that time, it was very difficult because I'm like, I wanted, I, it's like I wanted my parents to see like I was like struggling um, because of what I was seeing in the home. And they they just couldn't see that because they were so under the influence of um, what they were doing at that time. So I want to like fast forward a little bit because this is really important. We were on Section 8 and um, Section 8 is a voucher for people who are don't have enough money to pay their rent. And so my uh, my mother would 
find these um, houses and these apartments that were like really nice. And it was so interesting because I'm like, how is it that we're so poor, but we are living in these nice apartments in Oceanside? And she would get us these like nice houses, these nice condos and things like that. When we moved out of uh, this house that we, it was like our childhood house of these experiences that I was talking about. When we moved out of there, because they wouldn't fix the things that were in the house, they wouldn't fix it. When we moved, we started hopping to different apartments. And they weren't just like beat down apartments. They were nice apartments upstairs, downstairs. During this time when we were in these, when we would move, we would stay there maybe um, five years and then we'd move. We'd stay there another five years at one place and then we'll move. So it was always like we were never in a place where we could stay there. And um, in each location, it would be the same thing, money, stealing, drugs. So my fam, my mom and my, my dad ended up moving us to a location. This location, um, in Oceanside, we're in a condo, began to set the course of my downward spiral in my life. I began hanging out with the wrong people and doing drugs and smoking weed and all of that. But that did not all start just like all at once. Cause to get out of that, that drugs and the alcohol and all that stuff that was happening, I had to, um, I had to have an outlet, so I would dance. I would go and like to dance class and stuff like that. My parents would pay for me to go to these dance classes and things like that. But there was one specific day that would change the course of my life. I was walking towards the gym to go to my dance class, and this young boy, he was like around, I believe, like 16, 17 at the time, and he was like, um, said hi to me. And at that time, I had not had any interactions with boys. I had not um, had any relationship with any any type of male at that at that point. I haven't had sex at all. Um, and he says, I want you to come uh, with me the following day to come hang out with me. And I said, sure, let's, I, you know, because I haven't had any attention. So I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go. And when we went to that house and he brought me, he's like, come on, let's go to this house. And he was like prepping me on the way there. Um, I, I ended up going into a house where there was like maybe five or six men in the house and he brings me back into this room and um into the bathroom first and then he took my virginity and then after that he's like come on come towards the room and in the room in the room all of these men were like lined up and I was um at that point I was being taken advantage of um by these men and they were telling me to do these things to them I didn't know at that point what was happening to me but I knew that it was wrong I knew it was wrong and so after I left there I felt it, it was weird because I felt like, wow, like for the first time, like somebody's paying attention to me. Like somebody, I, I feel like I'm loved like by a man. And I feel like uh, he's, they're giving, he, he, they were giving me attention. So I didn't think that, that what they did to me was bad. But after that day, I started um, drinking more. I started smoking more. I started um, hanging, I was uh, smoking cigarettes. I started trying ecstasy. I um, started um, hanging out with a young lady that was in prostitution, and she was, like, really, really deep into this prostitution lifestyle, and she would take me on these adventures with her, like, to different locations where I would see her doing things with other men, and I wouldn't do it. I would wait on the side, but it was like a prepping of it. That's how everything is. It was like a, it was like a prepping. The enemy was just like prepping me to, to just take advantage of me and just to take me down this path that I couldn't get out of. So I would watch her, um, 
do these things with these different men and get money and she would buy me shoes and do my hair, do my makeup and I mean all types of stuff um I was seeing in the in this lifestyle that she was living. And Brittany, at this time is anyone, your parents, anyone aware of really what's happening in these moments, you know, from that moment you like you lost your virginity essentially with all and then all these men and then now to this lifestyle, like this grooming, you know, lifestyle. Was anyone aware that this was happening? Yeah. My mom um, she was very, like, very upset. But at that point, because of all of the things I had seen, what I had seen her doing, I had became so angry and rebellious that they did it. They were kind of, like, afraid of me. Because I'm like, you, you know, I've seen my, my mother get angry and, you know, hit my sister when she didn't have her medications and stuff like that and, like, fight with her to get money to go get her things. And, and she didn't know what she was doing because she was under the influence of that. So she... um so I was at that point, I was just like so rebellious that I was like, like, if you even try to do this to me, like, I'm going to do this to you and I'm gonna call the police on you. So they were at that point, like, leave, leave her alone. Like, she's she's crazy. My mom did try. She did try at one point to stop me. And she was like, she was telling my dad, like, look what she's wearing because my whole outfits had changed. I was wearing like these really big heels. They had never seen me wear that. I was wearing like these skimpy clothes and they were like, look at her. My mom was like, you know, look what she's doing. And I'm, and I, at that point, I didn't care. I kind of was like even not even coming home at one point. And how old were you at this time? I was around like 16 and a half. Yeah, I wasn't even at that point. I was staying at friends' house. I wasn't coming home for weeks at a time because what was happening. Because I, in my mind, I, I love my parents so much. I love my dad so much. And I just wanted them to stop doing drugs, to be honest with you. I wanted them to stop. So in my mind, I'm, th- I'm thinking like, well, you're, you're doing it, so I'm going to do what I want to do. And you, uh, you guys obviously don't care about me because on countless of occasions, I have tried to remove the drugs out of the house. My sisters and I, we've tried to take the things out, crush it, and we're praying for my, my family. And we had people trying to help us at, at that point, but they just wouldn't stop. So I, at that point, I just became so angry to the point where I was just always fighting. I was fighting girls. I was even, I think I was even fighting boys at that time. Like, and so they were, my parents were afraid of me. So then um, this young girl, she, like I said, she was beginning to buy me these things, and she even um, started to do things to me, like, sexually and things like that. And so that was my first time I uh, with a sexual encounter with another female, was with this person. And so she began to um, do those things, and and after that, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to, like, try it. And so she was like, um, yeah, come on. like, um, And I think she had, like, a pimp or something at that time. I'm not really sure what was happening, but I did see people that she was involved in. So I, try, I tried prostitution a few times. Um, after that, I was like, mm, I don't really feel right doing this. So I started even taking money from men and then still having sex with them. It was it was kind of it was kind of weird because at one a part of me didn't want to do it but another part of me liked the fast lifestyle and during this time I was working I had dropped out of school um, so at this time I wasn't in school I was kind of being homeschooled my mom like I mentioned before was a straight A student very smart so she would like do my homework because at that point the truancy officers were coming in and out of our house so she didn't want like the attention to be on me because they knew what I was doing and who are the, the truancy officers can you explain. Yeah, the truancy officers are the people that if you don't go to school, they come knocking on your door. I don't know if they still do that today, but back then they they would come to your door and wonder where you're at. Like, why haven't you been at school and stuff 
like that. Or if you're, even like when I was like not doing so well in school, they would want to know why I wasn't doing so well. So my mom was like doing my homework and stuff like that, doing my math homework and all of those different types of things for a little period of time until I like officially dropped out. And then I moved in with my older sister for a little while. And then I moved out of there and came back home. I started, um, you know, having sex with men for free at that point. I was just being sexually immoral. And then I found, I got into a relationship with a man that was a little bit older than me. And my mother did not like that. She did not like the fact, I think at this point I was like 18 and she didn't like the fact that I was in a relationship with this man. And people in the neighborhood would tell me like, uh, this man is, has these disorders. He's been to jail and all of these different type of things. And the person that he presented himself to me was that he was not doing that, that he was, he was changed. So I ended up being in this relationship for like three years. And during those three years, he would, uh, emotionally abuse me. He would, uh, sexually abuse me and tell me to do different things that I, I, that I didn't want to do. And in this relationship, I got pregnant twice and I had an abortion. And when I had the abortion, that set the course of, uh, feeling like condemned, feeling like I was, uh, not worthy, feeling depressed, feeling like I wanted to commit suicide at that point. My life was like literally going downhill at that point. I was drinking more. I was, um, you know, doing all these different types of things. And he would take me on these like walks where there would be like three hours. And I'm like, where are we going? And he's like, people are following us. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, well, nobody's following us. And in my mind, I couldn't even see that this was wrong because I so wanted to be loved. I so wanted to be around somebody that loved me. And I, and I thought, I was like, this man loves me. And so um, during this relationship, like I mentioned, I got pregnant, uh, had abortions um, twice. Um, by, the, by the grace of God, I got out of that relationship. My mom, um, um, at the age of 19, ended up passing away, um, and that uh, changed me. That's when I started to change my life around. And I slowly started to try to do things differently. I was still like smoking and, and drinking and, and doing those different types of things. Um, but in the midst of that, I knew that I wanted a, a different life. And so when my mom passed away, I started to see my younger sister go to church. And I, I started to see like differences in her. And I, I started to see like a light come upon her. And I said, I wanted, I wanted that, but I didn't know like how to get it. I thought it was just like, how could God accept me being that I was, you know, doing all of these things and I was drinking, I was smoking, having sex, partying and just living a reckless life. Like, how could he like want me? Why would he want me? So I continued drinking, continued smoking, continued like after I left that relationship, I was like going from one man to another. And the breaking point for me was uh, it, it was just a humiliation moment where there was a man that he wanted to have sex with me. And he said, what, what do I need to do to have sex with you? And I said, all you have to do is like buy me a beer and some cigarettes. He went and he spread that rumor that any, all you need to do with Brittany is buy her cigarettes and buy her a beer and you could have her. That to me was like the, the breaking point for me. So during that time, I was like, you know, like I have to make some changes. I have to do something because I was, I was, I was so low. There was a, a, a another situation that also um, happened where I, um, the Holy Spirit just brought it to me was when I almost lost my life in a gun shooting. So it, it, it's like it didn't take much for me to like to stop the lifestyle I was living. At this point, I was in, I was in the backseat of a, of a car and I was with these men and they were smoking, drinking and all of those different types of things. And as they were sitting in, in, in the car, 
I heard gunshots. But it was interesting because at this time I wasn't even saved, but I can still hear the voice of the Lord when I saw this car circling around the building in the neighborhood. And when I saw it circling around, I saw it. Nobody else saw it because they were high, because they were drunk. But I saw that car circling around, and I didn't even think anything of it. Later on that evening, when we were all coming out from from the um, from our, my parents' house, and my parents knew like we were hanging out, we were in the garage, and then we went out to the front to go hang out in their car. So at this point, when I heard the gunshots, I um, got underneath the seat, but the gunshots were coming out too much. So I got out of the car and I went underneath the car. Um, the person um, also that was driving um, got out of the car, and they sh- I saw them shot shoot shoot the person and kill them. The person looked at me, and at that moment, I'm like. I'm like, um, God, you know, help me. Help me, Lord. And at that moment when I seen that, that man look at me, when I seen him look at me, and he looked at me and, and he walked away, I knew that that was the Lord. I knew it. I knew that that was the Lord, but those things didn't stop me. I, I um, it didn't stop me. It was like, it was like, what else did I need? What else did I need to go through in order to like to surrender my life uh, to to the Lord? You know, to surrender my life back to Jesus. Like, what did, what what else is it going to take? You know, the abortions, the the drinking, the the men. You know, all these things. And so, um, uh, my sister, you know, invited me to church. She invited me to church. She said, do you want to go to church? And I would go because at this point, I'm like, I was in, I went, I decided that I was going to go back to school. So I went back to, I went back to school and I was working towards getting my high school diploma because my mom, she always wanted that for me. She, she always wanted me to, um, she wanted me to graduate. She knew that I struggled in school. She knew that, um, you know, reading was difficult. And she kind of like, in the back of her mind, I think she felt responsible. I think she felt responsible. And I think that she felt like she wanted to make that up to me. So she would always tell me, um, you know, go back to school. I want you to graduate. So I go back um, to a community learning center in Oceanside, and I uh, worked towards getting my um, high school diploma. I could, bar- I could barely even, like, structure sentences together. It was very difficult for me to uh, to read. Um, I could see the words and things like that, but it was very difficult with, with what they were asking for me to do. So I would have to have people read to me. I ended up graduating. I ended up uh, getting my high school diploma. Um, my life started to change. I um I ended up, um, you know, going into the community college, working towards my associate's degree. Um, my dad, he um, he was doing a little bit better, but he was still in in the in his disease of drugs and stuff like that. And there was one day where I came home and I saw him laying on the floor. This was this was like maybe a month or two after my mom had passed, and I saw him laying there um, unconscious, and it was like dark and black. He said he, that he saw. And I thought, I said, oh, man, like, I'm not going to have both my parents, and this is going to be just, you know, I guess I'll just have to, you know, be strong and, and live like this. But praise God that he, he was able to um, come out of that. He was able to, you know, get out of the, that situation, and I think he did learn from that. They said it was it was a mixing of some type of medication that made his um, something happen where it was just a mixing, a downer and an upper or something like that, and that, and that's what happened after that. Um, I started to more so go, I was really getting involved in church, started seeing my, my, my life change. And I was at church, um, that my sister had invited me to. 
when I went up there, they really were, the, the pastor was preaching a sermon, and the sermon really resonated with me, and I um, gave my life to Jesus. And can you tell us about that moment? Can you tell us about, like, you know, you're coming back, you know, going to church. I don't know if that was your first time, but going to church. And what was the message? What were you hearing? And what was happening, like, in that moment, you know, before you decided to give your life to Christ? I, I knew that there was, like, when the when the um, preacher was preaching, I knew that he was preaching on, like, power and on changing your life. And I, it just resonated with me. Like, I knew that I needed to change something. And I knew that what I was feeling in there, like, when they were playing the worship, because I've never heard worship music. I wasn't raised in church. So when they were all singing, I was like, w- what's happening here? And so when I would see them sing and I would see them worship, it was really, like, resonating with me. And I felt good about it. And I felt like, wow, I, I can, I, I, I want this. And, I, and then my next step, I got baptized. So I think like maybe a month or so afterwards, I got baptized, and that's when my my life completely turned around, and I started to see miracles. I started to see instantly things would just begin to just my I, I can't explain. It was like my eyes for the first time were like open, and I was like I would sit there in my room, even though there were still things that were going on. I could sit there and I would hear sermons from on TBN. I would just play TBN all day, and I would just lay there in the presence of God and feel His power really coming into me and and making me feel feel so much better, like a like a love that I just I can't describe in words. It was like. For the first time, I felt like I'm not in that dark hole of depression and that I don't have to live like this anymore. And so that's when he began to really change me. Things began to, like, shift really quickly for me. Like, my prayers answered quickly. Like, I was um, able to look at the pages in, in, in books and understand what it was saying. I was able to pass my classes. Uh, I graduated uh, with my associate's degree from this school, and I ended up transferring to Cal State Northridge, where I would have gone on and got my um, my bachelor's degree. And so this is where it starts to get tricky because um, God was transforming me. He was renewing me. He was restoring me. He was blessing me. And, and there was a man that came into my life at this point. And at this point, this man began to uh, tell me like these things like, you're beautiful. That hole in my heart that I, I thought was healed was starting to come to come back up because I had to get renewed in my mind and I had to get renewed in my soul. And so I wasn't being renewed in those areas. I didn't know how to do that because I wasn't taught that. And so here this, this man, this milk, um, comes along and I even move him into my house. And at this time, I didn't even know that this was bad until I went to, uh, the church that I was going to. And they were saying that you need to have one um, husband and one wife, and you can't live with this, with this person because this is sexual immorality. And I didn't know what that was. And so I was um, living with this person, with this man, and he started abusing me, and he started um, making me do things that I didn't want to do sexually. He And if I didn't do something, you better believe I would have a punch in my eye. I would have to cover my face up with makeup. And at this point, I was in the church now. I was serving. I was um, sharing my testimony of how I came out of the, uh, the, the lifestyle I was living before on um, encounters at church. I, I began to start feeling, feeling bad and depressed again. Like, I just want to end my life. Like, because how is it that God just just brought me out of all these things. He restored me now. Now I'm at church. Now I'm um, helping out the church. I'm serving. I'm in Bible studies, and I'm seeing miracles happen. And here I am again, back in this situation again. And, and did anyone in the church know this was happening? No. Uh, yeah, I didn't tell them. Yeah, no, they didn't know, no. 
And I was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I'm like, how can this happen to me again? It's like, it's like, when am I going to learn my lesson, you know? And so this was like, I believe in like uh, the fall of 2011 or something like that. This man was doing these things to me. And then I heard the Lord speak to me because at this point, this man was smoking weed and I had started smoking weed. And when I would smoke weed, I would get, I would feel um, hallucinations. I would feel the walls caving in and I would, uh, and, and I could hear the voice of the Lord tell me, don't do this. It was like as clear as day. He would be like, you need to stop this right now. When I heard that voice, like when I heard him and I was like smoking weed, he's like, you need to stop this now and you're not going to ever do this again. Literally that day I had never smoked weed again. That's the same thing that happened when I was smoking cigarettes. I was like habitually smoking cigarettes because I didn't know about strongholds. I didn't know how to break addictions off of my life. I didn't know any of that. So here I am. I would smoke cigarettes and I would go greet at the front door of the church. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to put this spray on and stuff like that. And I didn't know that I could stop smoking cigarettes until I heard like a voice voice saying you need to stop smoking these cigarettes and I knew that that was God and that's how I broke that off of my life because I heard the voice of the Lord say I can help you get out of this and I can help you stop smoking these cigarettes and I can help you stop smoking weed and that's how I stopped during this time I was on an encounter at church and at church they were talking about basically sanctification how you can come how, how the women were coming out of like these bad relationships and things like that during that encounter God spoke to me again and he said when you go home you have to get out of this relationship because if you don't get out of this relationship I won't be able to take you where you need to go um, in your purpose and your destiny for your life and so I began to think about like how am I going to do this because he was at my house at this time for three days I was gone on this encounter and um, when I came back I told him I said you're going to have to leave my house and I said I'm sorry that night he was like throwing things in my house he was like hitting the couch and hurting himself and saying like look you're making me do this and all this type of stuff the next day he left and I knew that that day that when he left that that was it I knew it, and he knew it. I said, I'm sorry, this is done, and then we're over. After that, that's when I started to see more progression in in my life. And I ended up being celibate for a while. I did have a a few slip-ups, and I was celibate for, I think, like a couple of years. And then in the fall of 2012, I, I told the Lord, I said, you know what, this is very difficult, like, especially from the lifestyle that I live. Like, how is it that you're ever going to bring me a man of God? How are you going to bring me somebody to love me past those things that I went through? And so he took, I was at a um, a, a church service, and um, that's where I met my husband. And my husband came to me, this to a virgin. He came to me a virgin. And he's okay for me to share this because he shares this as well. He came to me a virgin, and I wasn't, but I was renewed in Christ. And with the past abortions and with all of those things that I went through, God knew what I needed. I thought I was never going to have kids um, because of what I did, and I, I carried this um, condemnation and this guilt and this, and this shame that I would never have kids. I would never be able to do this because of what I've done. And today I have my daughter and her name is Crystal. And I'm very blessed to have both my husband and my daughter because they are a part of my testimony. They're a part of what I've been through. They are a part of what God can do, what he can, what he can um, give you when you, when you obey his commands. 
it's not like doing rituals or anything like you have to do this to do this. It's a it's a manifestation of just being in his glory and his presence. He's saying, this is what I want to give you um, for what you came from. And so that's what um, I'm blessed to have today with my daughter and my husband. Not only that, I have been able to share my testimony. I've been able to um, uh, write books when I didn't even know how to barely read, um, barely graduated, barely by the skin of my teeth. And he's literally just like changed everything around. And it, it definitely hasn't been easy. It's been a lot of spiritual warfare. My dad, I have a... Um, a good relationship with him. I always had a good relationship with my father and he always encourages me to uh, share my testimony. And even though he, he's a major part of it. And I always tell him, like when I went to go see him recently, I told him, I said, even though you're part of my testimony, I want you to know, I love you. Uh, I love my sisters. I love my family, but I have to do what it is that God has called me to do. Not everybody understands that my family didn't understand it at first. And I think they still don't, but it's not up to me whether I can try to get them to understand what I'm doing because I have to do what God has called me to do. And this is what he's called me to do. And a part of my testimony has to do with my father and my mother that I love very much. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that they struggle with these things and we all struggle with things. We, we live in a fallen world, but God can restore us back. And Brittany, I do want to ask, you know, the journey that you've been on, like in the healing area when it comes to you've had, you know, the abortions and, you know, the sexual abuse, you know, how has the Lord redeemed, you know, that area of your life? Yes. Um, so um, for the abortions, uh, I, I was blessed to go to an um, like a healing kind of um, encounter. Um, it, it was with the church. So it's like three days you go and they really pour into you, help you, you know, work through, work through that. And that's how I got healing in that area. Cause for a long time, I felt condemned for a long time. I felt bad. I felt like a murderer and I felt like, you know, I was lied to not only that, um, with both the abortions, because they told me it was like a speck and stuff like that. And I found out I was like six or eight weeks and, and that was like traumatic. They were like, here, take these pills and, you know, you're going to go home and have this abortion. So that those type of scars like um, stayed with me for a long time. But this ministry, you know, that I was with underneath at the time really helped me work through that trauma in that. And with the sexual abuse, um, I really had to because I didn't find out until like I was in my 20s that that was like sexual abuse. And so I really had to like work through the healing with that. And it was very difficult because I always thought like men were bad, like they're all out to get you they're trying to take your take you for something they're they're using you and stuff like that so I really had to get those things out of my mind like even like w with um, my husband now like when we first married like I still was kind of nervous I still was like on the edge and it was very difficult the first couple of years trying to like navigate being a woman of God a transformed woman of God with a man of God that I didn't quite understand because I had never seen a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. So I really had to, like, even today, I have to actively work at it. Like, no, like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Like, no, you have to do, you have to do this. So I have to teach myself. And, and, and that's why I, I find it so important to have uh, people that are more seasoned than you pouring into you and teaching you these things, those things I didn't have. And I wish I did have when I was a new Christian, because I think that that would have like helped me a little bit more um, as I was growing. And Brittany, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is uh, my Lord and Savior. He's my uh, deliverer. 
he's a restorer and he has completely uh transformed my life and he's the one that can transform you he's the one that can deliver you he's the one that can set you free and that's what he did for me wonderful and and you know i just i'd love to for you to you know just share a few words of encouragement to you know any young you know young girl right whose life right now is you know her family is just you know the, the, there's a lot of drug addiction there's a lot of brokenness the home is broken but they're looking for love and they're looking to experience the love of a father how would you you know really encourage them Yes, I would I would definitely say first you have to give your life to Jesus so that he can change you and he can transform you. The second thing is um to trust in Jesus, trust him in your heart, believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing is to get people in your life that will be able to pour into you, to be able to teach you, to be able to show you that you don't you don't have to live like this and that your current circumstance is not is what's going to define you. I always thought that because of where I bit where I was and where what was happening to me at that time, what was going on defined me. Like I was like, this is what I'm living in. This is what is happening. This is me. And that was not my identity. The enemy was telling me that that was my identity. And he would tell you lies and tell you, like, this is what you're going to be in. This is what you have to be in. And you have to accept these things, but you don't have to accept it. I would say get people around you that will encourage you, the people around you that are good and positive influences in your life that will be able to say, no, you don't have to live this way. No, um, just because you're in this current environment doesn't mean that that's what your life, that's what's going to be your portion. Making sure that you just uh, get around people that would direct you and guide you in the right path. And Brittany, if you were to speak to little Brittany, Brittany that was five years old in, you know, that household, what would you say to her? What would I say to her? I, I, I would definitely say that it's not your fault. You know, your parents were going through these things and, you know, people go through things in life and um, they did the best that they could and, and to just pray. You know, I know like a lot of times people think that kids at that age um, can't pray, but I would uh, beg to differ because I've seen a lot of children praying and a lot of children um, praying on their knees to Jesus. So I would I would uh, tell the five-year-old Brittany to cry out to Jesus. That's what I would say. So, Brittany, can you pray for that little five-year-old, that 10-year-old, that middle schooler, that high schooler, that's experience, you know, a lot of what you've experienced, you know, with the, you know, the fa- the parents that are, you know, using drugs and they're just kind of feeling maybe pushed aside or unseen or unheard and have just been going through it. Can you pray for them that, you know, even through your testimony that they would see themselves, but that they can see, you know, what a surrendered life to Jesus looks like? Yes. Yeah. So, um, dear father, I just thank you right now for whoever's watching, Lord. And I just pray for the young woman or the young boy or just a, just a little child, Father God, that um, is in a circumstance where they feel like it's out of their control. And, Father, I ask that you just send a protection around them. I ask that you cover them, and I ask that you um, help them to see their identity in Christ. And if anybody here who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ, just say, Lord Jesus, say, come into my heart. Say, I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe you rose from the dead and say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask for you to protect them and cover them in Jesus' name. Now, if you said that prayer, get into a good Bible-based church and really watch your life change because God did that for me. 
He really changed the course of my life when I accepted him, and I began to see myself the way that he sees me. And I know that um, many of you watching might feel like you don't have no purpose or that you don't have a destiny or that you don't have nowhere to look or nowhere to turn. But I want to declare to you today that even though I was in that lifestyle, that I was doing, I was in the drugs, I was in the alcohol, I was doing those things, God completely transformed my life and he turned it around. So I'm really grateful and thankful that even in the midst of those things, he he showed me that what a surrendered life looks like. And I'm really grateful and I'm thankful. Thank you. And Brittany, do you have any last words, any final words of encouragement that you'd like to share with anyone that's watching today? Yes, I, I just want to say that just trust in Jesus um, and really just see yourself the way that Christ sees you. Um, a lot of times people feel like they don't have a purpose or they, they don't have a destiny or that, that God is done with them. No, he's not done with you. The enemy will begin to tell you lies, tell you you're not good enough, tell you that you're worthless, tell you that just because you went through this or you've been through this or because you came from this background that you are now nothing. But I want to declare to you today that you are something, that God has a purpose for you, that you are destined for more, and believe that. Get into the Word. Open up the Bible and watch your life change. That's literally what happened to me. I started opening up the Word of God, and the Word of God began to permeate my life and my and my spirit and my soul. It was like my medicine, and that medicine will begin to start to make you feel better. Even in your worst days, if you just open up the book of Psalms or open up the book of Proverbs and just start there and watch those scriptures completely transform your life. Hey, everybody. I hope the New Testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help. When all foundations have been shaken, when I'm left standing in the dark, and all I feel is my heart breaking, you still
just the victory of your cross and fix my eyes upon you Jesus you know I thank God that he's the deliverer I thank God that he's for us today and look he know he know all the craziness that we've gone through all the crazy things that we have done he know all about this stuff and uh, when we come to him if we let go and let him have his way in us he can fix whatever is wrong with us but many times we don't want to give it up and if we don't want to give it up, he can't fix it. But if we're willing to give it up, God will fix it. Yeah, he'll take it from us. Hallelujah. So listen, uh, Sister Dorothy Goodman, are you ready this morning? And we'll do Bible questions. All right, she ready. She stay ready. <laughs> Good morning, Sister Dorothy. God bless you. How are you? Good morning to you and everyone that's listening. I'm good and I'm blessed. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what's your first question you have? Um, The first question is, the words of Revelation say that this place is where the devil will be cast and will be tormented day and night and I have cast into the lake of fire and brimstone okay, um, Revelation, go ahead uh, Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 okay yeah we did this one yesterday I think and uh, I it was, was kind of go ahead it, it was, I'm sorry it was kind of reworded a little different but different. it meant the Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking too. And then I had gone out yesterday, and uh, I wanted to see my godson, and he came by to measure the uh, driveway for some stuff, and I uh, ended up out. So I rushed back in to put him in before it got too late in the afternoon, and I think I mixed up some. But anyway, I'm with you. This was worded mm-hmm. a different way. So let's go to the next one and see what you have. 
Um, number two is during his temptation in the wilderness. What Old Testament book did Jesus quote to rebuke Satan? Okay. Um, I have Deuteronomy chapter eight verse three. Okay, wait a minute. I got. I may have something just a tad bit. During the, his temptation in the wilderness. What Old Testament book did Jesus quote to rebuke Satan? Now, I have Deuteronomy is the answer. And I got, where you'll find it at is in Luke 4, 1 through 12. I need to go over there and look at this. Bear with me, Sister Dot. We're going to take a look. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know, all these things have started popping up all of a sudden. All right, we're going to Luke for, okay, wait a minute. And we're going to look at 1 through 12. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted. Yeah, it's going to be Luke chapter 4 because I remember after this, um, he went out to, to, to get the guys that was out fishing. So I go with Deuteronomy too. The Old Testament book. Yeah. I use Deuteronomy. Okay, let's see what the next one is, Sister Dodd. In which book is the passage found? Blank. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And Great is thy faithfulness. Yes, ma'am. Now, where did I learn it? Okay, and the answer is, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Okay, and when you found that, oh, I'm sorry. And you know, I didn't write it. It it oh, I can I think I can remember it was lamentations. Uh, was it lamentations three twenty two? Oh, lamentations chapter three verse twenty two. Through 23 or verse 23, I didn't even write it down. And guess what? I don't have it either. <laughs> that is strange. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get that. I didn't put that one in, in my list of notes. But it's okay. Oh, okay. I found it. It, it is. It's Lamentations 3. Okay. Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 22 through 23. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. You're welcome. Okay. We're moving right along. What's your next one? Oh, wow. Malachi uh-huh. deals with the same sins, address, and what other Old Testament book. And that is Nehemiah. That's what I, I just had that one too. Wait a minute. 
And I moved it. What did I move it to? Nehemiah. Hmm. Malachi deals with the same sins addressed in what other Old Testament book? Now, I have Genesis 7 and 2, Sister Dot. I nope. have a hard, hard nope. time trying to I don't yeah. have that one either. This is the problem I, with mine. I don't have that one either, <laughs> Sister Dot. But this is what I wrote. Um says, oh, we know this because the sins that my child condemned were the same sins Nehemiah spoke against. Okay. The priesthood was defiled and marriage was corrupt in Israel. Okay. All right. And what scripture, repeat that scripture for us again. Wow. Nehemiah 1329 um, Malachi 1 chapter 1 verse 6 through let me see oh 1 through 6, chapter 2 verse 9 in Malachi and then Nehemiah Thirteen, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter thirteen, twenty three through twenty five, and Malachi chapter two, fourteen through fifteen. Okay. Now I was right. like, I, I was searching so hard yesterday, I end up with a headache. <laughs> oh my goodness, no! Yeah, I, I was uh, in it. <laughs> And see, some of them, I, I put them over here, but I didn't write them down. Because when I got back, I was trying to rush and uh, give the office to Shantae to work. So I just kind of rushed and did da, 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 da. But I have a few of them. Now, that last one should be, uh, Noah took this number of each type of clean animal into the ark. Is that what you have? Yeah. Okay. And that, um, set, I, the answer was seven pairs. Uh-huh, seven was the answer. And uh, it was found in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yep, and that ends it. So what I do over the weekend, I put some, I'm going to write each one of them down, and I put more um in here, and I make sure I write them down, make sure I look over the scriptures um, before Monday to present it. So we have the right scriptures, the right answers on everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you so much, I, Sister Dot. Um, I'll be steady checking. Okay, okay. So if they're there in Jesus in the morning. All right. Yes, mm. ma'am. I appreciate you um, doing this because it helps me. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, some things I, I, I don't remember. And when I go back over this, this has blessed me. And then it caused me to go back 
and uh, remember some things, look at some things, and so that's truly a blessing. So, yeah, we'll keep it going as long as possible. We'll keep it going. Thank you so much. God yes. bless. Yes, God bless you, and thank you, Sister Di. You're so welcome, and I receive the blessing. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right, I have one quick request to play, and uh, I'm going to make this one really short. When we come back, the studio is open. If anyone has something they would like to say, please feel free to press that number one and come in today. I got a little bit of one. 
But uh, my situation is still ongoing, but just wanted to thank you and, and Jesus in the Morning family, Brother Anthony, because when it was done, when you guys were finished, you know, God just kind of gave me that reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I did, in my opinion, a lot of these times when you get into situations that look impossible, that's that's when God tends to show up and show out. So, but just go ahead and make my phone calls and try to get to the right people. Just praying for God to put the right people in place. And, you know, I believe I'm going to have some kind of testimony for you next week. Okay. So we'll see what happens, but I, you know, I know who's in control of the storm, so I'm going to just leave it in his hands, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just have to trust him and let go, because the scripture says this too. All things work together for our good. We love him. If he saved you, you'll believe he called you. So it's going to work out together for our good. In the event that it don't work out together for our good on this particular thing, he's got much, much better coming your way. That thing that you thought really might, could, should, would, now he's going to go on and bless that so it can sprout, so it can spring up. Yeah, you'll be surprised at how, because God don't have to tell us his business. Okay, Barbara, on on uh. February the 24th, I'm going to do this and this at your birthday celebration. I'm going to bring, you don't have to tell us anything. We just show up, believe in God, trust in God. Show up with a praise in our mouth. Yeah, a hallelujah, a thank you, Jesus, and mean it. And because we show up with this, thanksgiving, glory and honor, it belong to him. He come on through for us. There's nothing too hard for him to do. With God, all things are possible. It's with man that things are impossible. And again, this morning, it was Abraham who said, is there anything too hard for God? What can he do for you? Yeah, it's going to work together for the good of you. Hallelujah. We just believe this. We have the God that have all power. There's no higher power. And you may not feel like it because you heard and you see what you're going through. You read some things. But guess what? All power is on your side. And again this morning, if all power be for you, almighty God who have all power, Jehovah, if he be for you, he's more than the whole world against us. I give my, gave my testimony about the first time God used me to do what they call prophesying to people. I was walking down the street headed to the store. They come this older lady. I didn't know this woman. Never saw a day in my life. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. But look what he did for her. God told me to tell her the check was in the mail. She was expecting paperwork to say that she had been approved. She was expecting an approval letter. He told me to tell her he didn't send her an approval letter. She needed to check. So he sent her the check and she would get the letter later on. Did y'all hear that? See, it, it, don't, it, it don't necessarily have to go the way of the steps, the way that they say it's supposed to go. <laughs> Ooh, God can come in and change the whole plan of everything. I, I, I've seen rules and regulations in place on a job, procedures, you know, policy, procedure, all this kind of thing. 
And according to this, this, and this, I can't do that, that, and that. Well, guess what? The owner of the company came and said, you know what? That's a stupid policy. Let's change it right now. Took that out, put what he wanted in there, and I went on my merry way to get what I wanted. Yeah, I ended up being employee of the month. I, I ended up getting a big, big bonus. Ended up in uh, the Bahamas on a cruise boat so big and beautiful. <laughs> because of him, he's got the last word. He can turn things around. And his word said this, but we got to stand on it now. If he be for us, again, he is more than the whole world against us. The whole world can come against me. But if he for me, guess what? It won't do him no good. It won't prosper. They won't get no good. He didn't say they didn't come against you. He didn't say it, it wouldn't come up, but it won't prosper. It won't grow. It won't get no bigger. It won't do them no good. I'm the winner. I'm the victor here. I'm walking in victory. Hallelujah. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. That's what he said. He didn't say the weapon wouldn't form. Now I'm back to that again. Things going to come up. And I turn my back and go on to do something else because <laughs> whatever you got playing, it won't work. Mm-hmm. And God is not going to leave me. He's going to be right here with me. Yeah. So we thank him this morning, Brother Jermaine. Look to the hills from which cometh your help. All your help comes from the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. And it's already all right today. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Just trust it. Get that Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 and just walk in it. Quote it. Do what it says. Oh, we, the spirit of the Lord are coming more than you could ever think of will show up. More, I said more than. Oh, uh, yeah. Hallelujah. All right, Pastor David, I'm coming at you right now. Good morning. God bless you. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And happy new year. And I've been on, I've been stretched at work, so. Um, but this morning I need, I know I needed to jumping while I make my journey to my next location. And and this is for Brother Jermaine. I I woke up. I, I was actually having dream, a dream. And in the dream, I heard Pastor Jermaine. And when I heard that, I jumped out of my dream. And I'm like, Pastor Jermaine, I don't know any Jermaine. And then it dawned on me who it was. And, you know, I, I listened to him speak and all that he's going through. And God takes us through, through things to prepare us for where he's taking us to. Hallelujah. You know, when, when, when he told his disciples to go get in the boat and go to the other side, he didn't go with them. What he did was he stayed and he spoke to their past. Mm. But they were in a boat. And, yes, there, there, there was the, 
it got windy, got the seas got rough and stuff, but understand that until Peter started going towards Jesus, that's when he faced the contrary winds. Mm-hmm. Before that, the boat, he was protected by the boat. He mm-hmm. wasn't experienced in it. it and, and Pastor Jermaine, you've you, you, you turned your life and you're heading towards Jesus, and that's when you're going to start seeing things. But hold on, my brother. I'm mm-hmm. praying for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm standing firm with you because whatever it is that God's got for you, it's going to be big. And you just got to hold on and get mm-hmm. through this season. Because when you look back, you'll have a testimony that will reach hearts and men's souls. Mm. I just wanted to say that this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you, Pastor David. God bless you this morning. And if this is what God is doing, yeah, it's going to be big. And you got to go through. To whom much is given, much is required. I had to go through the storm and lots of rain to be where I am. Yeah. To be able to call upon him and he come right now and see what I'm talking about. I had to go through some things. And I yet have trials to go through. They come to make me strong. Ooh, you don't know like I know. Yeah, fire and rain. I'm talking about that devil come and just cut a pure donkey. But I know greater is he that lives within me than he that is in the world. World, And I stand on that word. I'm going to stand on that Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. I'm going to stand on the same scripture that teaches me no weapon formed against me. I'm going to quote that much as I want to. And I'm going to believe that. And it's already done. And then I I try not to hop on whatever it is I want. I, I, I don't worry about that. Because I done gave it to God. I'm on the word. What else? What? What? And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if God don't give it to me, it won't work together for my good right now. I don't care what it is. And I learned to let go. Because I put it on the altar. I went boldly. Hey, before his throne of grace and laid my petition before him. And I was up to him to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's already all right. Hallelujah, I feel all right. Look, let me tell you something. It's going so well, and the people want to bless me. So even Popeye's fried chicken gave me some apple pie <laughs> for my birthday. I said, wow, look at this. Yeah, and they, and I don't have to buy none. They mean it now. This one and that one and that one and this one. I said, all right. Why? I'm celebrating Jesus. I'm having a church service. Woo-woo. For that birthday because I just want to lift him up. He's been good to me the whole year, a whole year. I turned 66 last February the 27th of 23. And he blessed me to see another one of 24. And I got the means and everything I need to, to, to come together with other believers and praise and worship him. The word is going to come for Bishop going to preach. I have Sister Bella coming to give encouragement in words. Minister Antonio going to do uh, uh, inspirational words. And I have some singers coming in that live. That, yeah. Erica wanted to make the whole dinner. I said, girl, go on and cook it. 
and bring it on to the church, honey. It's all right. Yeah, because guess what? I didn't want to have another birthday party. I didn't want to go to another birthday dinner. I wanted to have church. I'm talking about lift him up. I'm talking about cut rug like David cut it. David cut it so good he came out his clothes. He didn't have time for what people were thinking because it wasn't about the people or what he was trying to show the people. Oh, he was praising the God that brought him through. Hallelujah. He was there for the Ark of the Covenant. Hey, he remembered that God blessed him to slay that giant Goliath. Huh? He led many men out in battle and won every war. Our David had given some praise. God forgave him for what he did. David had to give him some praise. And he was the one who went on and wrote the song. He, he, he escaped Saul. Saul was going to kill him. Saul was not playing. The devil don't play with us. That evil spirit that will use people, it will use people to kill you. I'm talking about a physical death. The spirit of jealousy, envy, that's older. They don't play no games. You better know it. But when you know God done brought you through, when I think that he'll bring me through, that excite, I, I'm excited right now because I know he'll bring me through. I have all power. I'm telling you this morning. All power is on our side. He's not just for me. He's for all of us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I know not only he heard yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's answering the prayer. We're just waiting on the answer. We're just waiting on the outcome. And we believe in God for a good outcome, for what will work together for our good in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Good morning, Laura. <laughs> God bless you this morning. Hallelujah. Good morning to you, Brother Anthony. God bless you. And a good morning to you, Sister Rita. I know I saw her. Didn't I see Sister Rita? Yeah. Good morning, Sister Rita. Again, good morning, Pastor David. And a good morning to you again, Brother Jermaine and Sister Dr. Goodman. And a good morning to you, Sister Mary Ann. I had to say Say good morning to you in a few minutes, but uh, good morning to you, and God bless you over there. I'm doing good. And uh, she said, you've been on my mind, just been on my mind. I've been thinking of you, and uh, I had to let her know how I was doing, y'all. I'm doing good. Yeah, God is faithful, always on our side, yeah, in spite of us. And I feel all right for you this morning, Brother Jermaine. <laughs> I feel all right. Amen goes right there for you this morning. Uh, yeah, God is faithful. Thank you, Jesus. And he's a good God. And he knows exactly what we need. He knows the very intent of our hearts. He knows our heart's desires. And we're just thankful unto him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Is there anyone else this morning? Well, hey, Sister Barbara. Go ahead. Hey, um, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt, but real quick, I just, I just wanted to affirm what that brother was saying, and I really appreciate that. I can see God working because that's the exact scripture. You know, one of the two I had on my heart when I woke up was Peter in the water. So, you know, that just mm-hmm. reaffirmed that, that uh, literally, and, and, you know, I'm out here on the West Coast. I just woke up in the last 40 minutes, and that I woke up, I think I may have even been dreaming about it. 
you know, you're in between that uh, sleep and woke state. But, you know, sometimes we're praying in our spirit while we sleep. You know, we don't know what's going on spiritually, but we've been fighting these battles and uh, just praying overnight. But that that's exactly what was on my mind. So I appreciate that, brother. Just, you know, what a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. We, we're all over the country, and he has us connected, so. Yes. He's for us. They taught me the word omni, omnipresent. He's there with you. He's here with us, with each of us in our own individual places. But this is the thing that I believe when more than two or three come together to petition God. I believe not only he hears, but I believe him to answer because it's more than one. That's his word. Where two or three are gathered in his name is touching and agreeing. So if we agree and we all agree for this, that God bless you real good. Mm-hmm. And we all pray and we all praying. We may not all pray at the same time, but we're praying at different times. I know mm-hmm. God not only is here, but he's going to answer. I believe that today. I don't have no doubt that it's him. He's going to bring you out. Hallelujah. And it's already all right in Jesus' name. And see, as far as that pastor go, you're going to have, a little, have to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And he may send you to different ministries, different churches, so you can get what you need. And then as you pray and study the word for yourself, his spirit come and he make it all plain and simple for you. Because he said the word is so plain and simple, even a fool could understand, a child could understand. So if he's going to call you into pastorship, yeah, he already done made the way. You got to go through some things and then see what you're going through, the people going to go through, so you're going to be able to tell them how he brought you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's why I share testimony, because I want people to know he'll do it. He's no respect of person. He's not just going to do it for me and not do it for you. Uh-uh. He loved you just like he loved me. If he loved the sinner, <laughs> you better know he loved his children. Yeah. But he so loved the world. <laughs> because he wished that none should perish. Hallelujah. So if he loved us all, he made a way. Woo. We just got to walk in his way. And believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We seeking him. Hallelujah. The blessed brother Jermaine, in the name of Jesus. All right, but Anthony, you ain't have nothing. You're busy this morning. I didn't want you to think I overlooked nothing. Now you know I, I need to see that hand raised in the studio so I can be aware. <laughs> But I know he like to come in and give God just a little bit in the morning. But he may be working today and driving from somewhere back to somewhere. Let me see what he's doing. What is he doing? All right, I knew it. I knew it. All right, but after that, we got about 17 minutes. God bless you this morning. How are you? Well, we can't hear. Maybe you're phone is acting up or something because we don't hear. I'm going to close it out and reopen it, Brother Anthony. All right, let's try it again. Okay, say something. 
Okay, we can't hear nothing. We can't hear you. I don't know what's wrong. Do you have your phone muted? Unmute it. Put your mic open. All right. I don't know what's wrong this morning. Maybe it's the area where you are. Okay. Did you unmute it? Um. <laughs> Can you hear me, Brother Hampton? Something not right over there. Yeah, he might be in a bad spot or something. Hello. Okay. Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. This my headset be acting like that sometimes. If I take my headset off my off my disconnected from my phone, sometimes they don't connect back. I gotta plug it to a charger for it to come, you know, get back. Well, just want to give God thanks for waking up this morning. Thank God for life, having strength, keeping my right mind, allowing me to see another day, never same before. Thank God for the activity in my limbs. and thank God for who He is to me, what He's doing in me, where He brought me from, where He's taking me at, and just thank God for everybody that's in my life, uh, especially this, this young lady, Cindy Renee. It's inspires me all the time, and it gives me the love because I ain't no really an affectionate person, but God put her in my life to strengthen me that I could be more affectionate, you know, and more loving, you know, for relationship-wise. And, you know, I, I'm just blessed to have her. And, you know, I, I thank her for everything that she do. And I, I need, and that's something that, you know, is spouse, spouses and, and relationship. I think we need to, you know, let the other spouse know how much we appreciate them, you know, daily, you know, and that's not daily, you know, every, when you get a chance, when you think of them, you know, let them know, let them know you love, let them know you appreciate what they do. And I just thank God for my relationship with him. And I know it's God that's in her and it's God that's in me. And he's just working on me as well as her. And we know that in relationships, it's going to be ups and downs, you know, but God give us patience. And that's one thing that God has done. And I've seen in my walk with God that he has given me patience through a, with a lot of stuff. You know, well, when I was younger, you know, I didn't have that patience, you know. So I was being, God's continued to humble me and continue to open doors. And, uh, you know, I'm just blessed. And I thank God for, you know, even this show, Miss Barbara, because, you know, the testimonies and, you know, the, the relationships that I have and uh, had the people that come on the show and, you know, the friends and the love, you know, and that's extra love, you know, and, you know, I just remember my pastor back home in North Carolina, Dennis uh, Straight Home III, you know, he said, you know, a lot of men don't cry, you know, we feel ashamed or, you know, we feel like we don't need to cry, you know, but, you know, he's told, you know, it ain't nothing wrong with crying, you know, because all men cry, you know, they might cry and hide and cry, but they cry, you know, and, you know, it's it's all right to be, because that's God's love, you know, for us to be emotional, you know, and most times it's the women that's emotional, but it's all right for men to be emotional at times, and men do get emotional at times, because men, you know, they get mad or whatever, so that's an emotion, you know, but, you know, I just thank God for, you know, the people he placed in my life to, to, to give me wisdom and 
understanding and knowledge of things, you know, and then, you know, Ms. Barbara, you know, your show, and then these testimonies and encouragement and me to be able to encourage somebody, and they got a testimony, and through their testimony, it encouraged, you know, me, because we never know what one another is going through, you know. We never know the trial and tribulation that we might go through in life, but, you know, everything that God has is going to work together for our good, and, you know, God just continued to show me and let me know just continue to trust him and, you know, that he got me, you know, and, and that's for all of us believers, you know, all we got to do is continue to trust God. Have that seed of faith, that little mustard seed of faith, it goes a long way, you know, and we just got to hold on to God. We got to know his word, trust God, and let him lead and direct our path, and, you know, he's going to take us where we need to go, you know, and, Sometimes we can go through some things that's going to hurt, you know, but through that through that pain, through that pressure, you know, that's how diamonds are created, you know, and that's a word that I heard too, you know, you know, diamonds created by pressure. They had to go through some stuff, but when they come out, they're one beautiful thing, you know, so, you know, I hope that just encourages you as well, Brother Jermaine, you know, everybody out there listening, you know, no matter the tribe, no matter the situation, you know, you know we heard a saying, uh, uh, Pressure bus pipes, you know, and, you know, pressure and the diamond, we all know, like I said, in the end process, it's a beautiful thing. So be that diamond, you know, go through that stuff that we got to go through, the pain, but we're going to come out on top. And we also know that God ain't going to put no more on us than we can't handle, you know, as well. So, you know, I just hope it encourage somebody that, you know, out there listening, you know, just continue to hold on. God unchanging hand and know that God got you and He never leave you nor forsake you. He said He'll be with you from the beginning to the end. So just you just got to trust God and continue to press, continue to strive to read that mark, read the mark, you know, in our lives. And you know, God just continue to show me favor. I, I, I just a quick testimony, you know, uh, the job that I'm at now. You know, uh, I was talking to the uh, when I started, I was talking to the one of the guys, and I was telling him, I said, hey, you know, um, it has snow. And I was like, well, my vehicle, you know, it ain't really good in the snow, you know. And I said, it's kind of sometimes, you know, I can I can make it, but, you know, I, I, I go slow. I was like, it would be nice if I could drive one of these work vehicles, you know, home, you know, if it get bad or such and such. And he was like, yeah, he said, well, we could do that. You know, he said, let me check with the uh, the boss man and everything and he said I get back with you so he came back later on that day and he was telling me he said well he said we could let you do it but he said it would be against our insurance because uh, if you ain't working you on the cover while you working you know on our insurance and I was like okay I say, but you know I just kind of let you know so uh, last weekend I got my car some work done on my car and then the next day when I went to work well, not the next day, I say that Monday, because I got it done over the weekend. But that Monday, I went to work. You know, the uh, the, the what I, the work that got done, one of the uh, oil cooler housing that's on it on a Jeep Cherokee, that's they are uh, known and prone for going out. And uh, it it bust the uh, out, the oil came out the side of it and bust, and it felt like the, the transmission gave out. The all my, the speed and everything just decreased. So I pulled over to the side of the road. Put it in part, then put it in drive. It took off again, and I noticed it wouldn't go past about 45. So, 
You know, I, I was probably about four miles from the exit to get to the job. So I took off again and went a little bit more, and it, it, it died down again. It wouldn't go. And I was like, well, I can't keep going, you know, at this speed, and I can't change gears because it would mess up my transmission. I ain't going to burn my transmission up, you know. So I just pulled over. I called the boss man and told him what was going on. But long story short, so uh, they, I say Tuesday, uh, we had to go pick up a trailer. And the trailer that we picked up, we needed to go take uh, the pick up a pump that they had down in one of the mines in, uh, down here in Nevada. So uh, the boss man told me, he said, uh, well, he wanted a boss man. He was like, hey, he was like, oh, we're going to get you to go pick up this trailer. They closed by five, so you go pick up the trailer and you can take the trailer, you know, in the trailer home. You know, and it ain't dawned on me right then, but later on, you know, as I was leaving, you know, I just thought about, you know, I was saying, well, Lord, he told me that I couldn't take the truck home. Well, I wouldn't, you know, I ain't supposed to be in the truck. If I wasn't working, I wouldn't cover. So, you know, I was like, well, you know, I I just do what he told me to do or whatever. So then I brought the trailer back. And then yesterday afternoon, he was like, well, we got to take the trailer back. And, oh, uh, you know, you just drive the trailer, the truck and trailer home, and, you know, and you come back in the morning, you know. But, again, they let me keep the truck, you know, and trust me with the truck, you know, and uh, everything. So, you know, I, the guy just showing me, you know, I, I still going to make a way, you know. Well, they ain't let you have it when you wanted to have it, but, you know, I, I made a circumstance kind of come up where they got to give you the truck, you know, to be able to do what they need to get to them. And for you to go get it and everything, you know, and they're just showing me, you know, God still continue to give me favor, and he just did it in a different way, you know what I'm saying? But it's still happening, and, you know, even with my car breaking down, he said, the guy said something, he was like, hey, he was like, oh, well, what's going on with your vehicle? And he was like, and if you need to, you know, you can borrow the truck, you know. So, you know, and I told him, I said, well, my truck, my vehicle fixed now. You know, but that was this guy showing me too. You know, so I already worked it out. I already made it way for what they said that they couldn't do. They still gonna do it because I got the situation under control for to make it happen. So I just say that to say you know sometimes it may look one way, and some people might tell you no, but God will make it be a yes. So y'all have a best and awesome day, and God bless y'all. Just continue to put my screen in the Lord, and I pray y'all screen in the Lord, and y'all have a best and awesome. Weekend and the rest of the day. Amen. Amen, Brother Anthony. Amen. I'm a living witness here. Change it here. Turn it around. They saying one thing, God done already spoke another. By the time it's ended, it's whatever God said it would be. Hallelujah. It worked together for your good. Uh huh. And it's already all right today in Jesus' name. Listen, we're going to pray out and we pray the Lord bring us back Monday morning. 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. I love getting together with the saints of God, and I love to hear them talk. Hallelujah. Pastor David came in, but after this, it's the doctor doing the Bible quizzes. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing when we get together and we begin to talk. See, the world can't handle this. They need it all mapped out. They don't really have faith. And a lot of church folks, because that's what they are, they go to them building. They don't have faith. Honey, it takes faith and trust in God to live this life. Oh, yes, it does. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this day. Thank you for another Friday, another week ending. 
God, we come before you asking that you would bless every call and every listener, those going through the podcast and the archives. And Father, this weekend, we ask that you would use us as great witnesses unto you. Father, we pray that you would teach us and help us to keep our mind on you. For if we keep our mind on you, you're going to keep us in perfect peace. Teach us, Lord, this weekend how to trust you with our whole heart, lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you. You're going to direct our path. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes this weekend. Father, help us to fear you and depart from evil. In the name of Jesus, bless your people. Bless them this weekend. Lord, send financial, uncommon miracles financially their way. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you all the honor and praise. And Father, we trust you this weekend to bring us through. In Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would bless our going out this weekend, our coming in. Again, meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Again, we ask it all in your son, Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. In the name of Jesus, go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves the cheerful giver. Have a blessed weekend. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you this weekend, starting February 9th, 2024, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye, and we are going to one hopefully quick song of the morning, and after this, I won't be coming back. God bless you. God bless you.
doing payments. 